You are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Something's coming. Welcome to the Screamcast, episode 119. I am Sean DeRager, and with me is Brad Henderson. Whatevs. Still sounding sexy with the new blue ball mic. Blue, blue balls for life. <laughs> I don't think that's what it's called, but I, like, I call them a blue ball mic. Uh, no. Speaking of mics, joining us is from Splatcast podcast, that Mike is Delaney. The wrong name. What? <laughs> Splatcast. It's Splat not house. It. It's not God called the Splatcast. Splat house. Splat house. Yeah. There you go. No, I've been on. Va- it's all good. I've I've been on vacation. I yeah. That's my excuse. I'm gonna stick to it. That's no excuse. I had ten days of gluttony and debauchery. Uh, and actually, it's just a family vacation. But I was about to say it's kind of. It looked really cute. It looked really cute. <laughs> it it was it was nice. It was a nice family vacation up uh, towards Tahoe. It had a very Norman Rockwell feel for the debauchery. <laughs> yeah, there there was some uh, some white wine consumed uh, at a winery. Uh, oh, there, there was, was a lot of white going on on that vacation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. There was some, uh, you know, some some uh, micro brews consumed. Uh, but yeah, very tame. Jesus Christ. Although my uncle did pour oh me, my God. he poured me a wine glass full of one hundred twenty-five dollar Glenfiddich, Glenfiddich or Glenfiddich, twenty-five-year-old Scotch. Damn, Glen, fuck it, drink it. I I drank it, and then the next day he accused me of drinking his whole bottle of Glen of Glenfiddich. <laughs> and I was like, dude, you're a heavy pourer. He denied it. Luckily, I don't owe him another bottle. There you go. All right. Uh, today, we are going to be doing our What's on Your Doorstep segment, followed by, uh, I believe, news with Josh Josh Obershaw. Uh, okay. Then we'll be talking. Uh, Brad's jealous because he's not included in the news segment. No. Uh, Dude, this episode, these episodes have run six hours. <laughs> Followed by a conversation about Blue Underground's Manhattan Baby and Arrow's The Bloodstained Butterfly. Oh, yeah. Wait, I, we're watching, we watched Manhattan Baby? Yes. Oh, I thought you told me to watch Manhattan Baby. <laughs> so I watched, I came here with a hot take on pedophilia and jazz, man. Damn it. Well, hey, we'll hear. Let's let's we'll, we'll uh, we'll welcome the conversation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, first, let's jump into what's on your doorstep. Holy cow! I almost forgot. We'll get the door. <laughs> okay. What do you just open something? I'm I'm shaking my shaker bottle. Uh, of what? It's like it's like a it's like a dehydrated coconut water fruit punch recovery drink thing. I don't know. Jesus Christ! Some bro <laughs> shit. 
It tastes, it tastes good, though. I mean... It's so funny you make thirsty. fun of bros, but you're, like, you're turning into one, like, like month by month. You have some, like, other shit that you do. If I was snapping selfies of me in the gym every morning, uh... You do snap fun. selfies. No, I don't. I did, like, one or two nah, uh, yeah. within the past it's year. It's a gateway uh, selfie. <laughs> yeah. I I promise I will not dive in that far. Uh, I you drink your dehydrated nut coconut. I know, it's just it's just some it's just a beverage. It's supposed to rehydrate you. I'm a man. I'm fucking drinking purple Gatorade. Right I'm still now. recovering from that bottle of Glenfiddich I drank. You drank the whole thing. I probably did. Yeah. I had a really big hangover the next morning. How are the screen? How are the screenshots of your Fitbit different than a selfie? <laughs> screenshots of my Fitbit? I don't. Yeah, yeah like when you when you send out the the oh, Fitbit. That's, that's like automated. I need to turn that crap off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just three years later, out. I'm gonna turn it off. <laughs> well, I, you know, you, you set crap like that and you forget about it. I'm like, it's doing nobody any good. Well, there's Sean's 5 a.m. tweet about Nike. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. All right. Well, uh, I'll go first. Okay. Because I, you know, I didn't didn't really get to watch much. Um, I did watch, uh, this isn't horror, but I did watch Is Mike Girl. fucking his mic? Yes. I believe so. Is he, like, getting out of the car or something? What is that noise? I think he's getting his car just driving away. He just said, fuck it, I'm out. No, no, I'm here, guys. Can you <laughs> hear me? I gotta find a fucking power source. Oh. All these devices... You should do that before the show. Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, this right, whole thing's so- a fucking nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I was gonna say like you know, Spot House is so well produced and so well put together. Like, how long does that take you? Like a month? Like, you're, like <laughs> fucking this up right now. I mean, we're shitty quality, but goddamn, Mike, he's gone. Yeah, All right. cool. go ahead, Sean. <laughs> All right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're getting a peek behind the curtain of uh, Splat Splatcast, <laughs> a Splat House. Uh, anyway, I'll go. Just, Mike, do you know we're recording right now? <laughs> like, I'm not editing this shit out either. What was that noise? I don't got enough time. Is he out of the call now? Oh no. Oh, this is amazing. Hold on. Is it? <laughs> I think it's like, I'm just like, should I edit this or not? I don't know. I haven't taken you know, any notes yet. It was funny because someone just mentioned of all the times, like, I forget, one of the listeners said something about all the times you say you're going to edit something out on the show, but you say that, but it's never edited out. Nah, I don't. <laughs> Make a note to cut this. All right, so cool. What's on your doorstep? Hey, can you guys hear me? <laughs> oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yes. All right, cool. I'm back. Thank you. Sorry about that, guys. It sounds like you're deliberately like trying to sabotage a screen. This is what it is, man. <laughs> He's coming on here to sabotage us. Absolutely not. Couldn't possibly do that. <laughs> we, sab- we sabotage ourselves I'm enough. take offense to that. <laughs> 
Well, hey guys, there's take- no way you can derail your shit because you guys already derail it every week. Yeah, take spirits it intended, man. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, I, I only got a few. Uh, my wife and I watched Girl Fight with Michelle Rodriguez. Oh. Not horror, but uh, goddamn, what a movie. Uh, anyway, moving along. That th- that sucker needs like a Criterion release. It's yeah, so it's it's great, but what the fuck are you mentioning, Girl Fight? I don't know. It's just it's what I watched. I didn't get to watch much. Uh, Unless I mention all the kid yeah, movies right. that Linda played Dorn, on our, it's the on our director track. of The Invitation, and The Invitation's great, so watch Girl Fight. Yes, yep. And Driver's right. Body. <laughs> totally. And that that was the that was the connection. The horror. Connection. There we go. Okay. Because I was cool. watching it, I was thinking, holy shit! Like she, you know, directed Jennifer's Body, and then The Invitation, which I haven't seen yet. But you know, Jesus. <sighs> all right. Uh, next thing I watched that I, that I really want to talk about was uh, Mel Gibson is in an is in a new film called Blood Father, and uh, it's really fucking good. So it's about this guy. He's probably like two weeks sober. He's a ex-biker, in and out of prison, and uh, his daughter's been missing for many years, and one day he gets a phone call from his daughter, and she's into, into some stuff, uh, into some shit, uh, and she needs some help. And uh, he drives out to L.A. or wherever to, to pick her up and uh, realizes she's in a lot of trouble with some uh, cartel uh, cartel guys, and uh, the movie takes off from there. Really good. Bearded Mel Gibson, I think, is my favorite Mel Gibson because he's, like, there's just that little bit of, you know, even more, like, unhinged Mel Gibson madness when he has his full beard. Uh, unfortunately, he shaves it off, uh, and they use his shaved face on the cover of the Blu-ray, which they should just do a picture of him with this gigantic beard and be done with it. Anyway. It's but the, the beard that gives him the power? I think so. Yeah. I like I like Bearded Mel Gibson. Uh, anyway, the movie's really good. He's really good. He's been missed. I think the last film I saw... Oh, shit. What was that called? He, Expendables 3? Not, expen- not Expendables 3. Jesus Christ. It's one where he, he's basically in like a Mexican prison. Oh, get the oh, gringo? Get the yeah, gringo, yeah, yeah. Get the gringo. That was really good. But uh, but Bloodfather's solid. Um, you should check it out. And it's probably one of those that will end up on Netflix at some point. But uh, the Blu-ray is pretty cheap. And uh, that's, that's Bloodfather. Uh, really happy that Mel Gibson's uh, kind of getting back in the saddle. And uh, I, I want to see his new uh, World War II flick as well. Him behind the director's chair is uh, is always welcomed. All right, moving along to actual horror here. I broke out my German Blu-ray of Sinjinor. <laughs> das Synthetikskirchgenspermens. Is what the Jesus name. Christ. <laughs> Previously on a Synapse uh, DVD. Uh, I think this is just a. DVD Master messed with a little bit. It looks kind of wonky uh, in HD. But the movie itself, a fun little uh, alien ripoff. Aliens ripoff, I should say. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. There's there's not really much. If you've seen Aliens, you kind of know the plot. But basically these monsters are bred for military use and they get out in some sort of uh, building. Pretty much it. But uh, did you guys know that there was a? This is a sequel to a nineteen. Uh, yeah. What what year was their sequel like? Nine, uh, nine, well, Sin Jenner is the sequel. Scared to Death is the original. Yeah, yeah Scared to Death. Uh, so I need to track down Scared to Death now. 
the movie's like takes completely like place in the dark. The whole entire movie, you can't see anything. <laughs> <Really>? It's crazy, <laughs> but. Nice. Sinjinor, uh, fun. The German Blu-ray is, is pretty cheap, uh, but there's some really wonky stuff going on. You can tell that they basically did some digital cleanup on a, some sort of HD master or, or just some sort of shitty quality. Um, but, uh, but you know, what it is, is a fun time. That's all I got. Brad? That's it? That's it. I was on it's vacation, on- man. I wasn't, I wasn't watching movies on vacation. Should I watch movies on vacation? I was in like wooded area, like Tahoe. Should have filmed one then. Like, giant trees and wait, did you film any movies? Any yeah. sexy movies? Hell yeah, I did. Dang, this is like this is like coming across as like the weirdest uh, family vacation known to man. I sound, <laughs> I just this just sounds off. I'm just trying to make it fucked up because I hate you. Uh, so, are you like on the Eiffel Tower right now? Is that what's <laughs> happening, Mike? With all that, what, what is that noise? I don't know. The, I'm outside my house. It's the only place I could get a Wi-Fi connection. Uh, <laughs> my kids are going to sleep right now. I'm kind of in the same situation as Sean. So, oh, all right yeah. then. Let, let's let's hear what you got, Mike. Yeah. Oh, um. Over the last couple of weeks, I've just been watching a lot of movies for the Splat House podcast, is what it's called, Sean Dereger. <laughs> uh, so I've been going back, watching a lot of the films that we're uh, profiling, preparing for for interviews, etc. But for fun, I went out and purchased uh, the Herschel Gordon Lewis box set, the Feast box set. <sighs> that thing is gorgeous. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've seen the unboxing, or do you have a copy yourself, guys? I have the big one. I'm I'm on the fence. Uh, I may need to sell some blood to afford it, but uh, we're, well, I'm working on I'm working video, on uh, getting that set. Grindhousevideo.com <laughs> has it for fifty percent off right now at their uh, arrow sale. I definitely recommend getting on the other side of the fence. The thing's fucking gorgeous. Uh, amazing package. The only one I watched from it so far is uh, one of my favorites. Uh, something weird. Um. A phenomenal set. Um, the thing that I really love about it, and it's one of the first times I did this for a, uh, a deluxe box set, is I actually went out and made copies of the, the booklet that comes with it. They put together this fun little booklet that has uh, puzzles and it has uh, uh, mazes and whatnot. It's it's in the vein of some get at a carnival and a Halloween carnival if you're a kid. So I went out and made copies of that, and I've been having my students uh, that I instruct <laughs> do these H.G. Lewis uh, puzzles around <laughs> Halloween time, so that's been a lot of fun to uh, kind of get them on Herschel Gordon Lewis as well. Of course, I can't show them any of the pictures. We just stick to Goosebumps and that bullshit. But uh, but that was fun, uh, watching that recently. And then the other two I picked up were Vinegar Syndrome's releases of, uh, what is it, Death Row Game Show, and then uh, Rob Hunter's favorite, Hobgoblins. So I'm a, <laughs> I'm a big fan of uh, Rick Sloan's Hobgoblins, the uh, the Gremlins ripoff from 1988 to kind of go in line with uh, Sean's Aliens ripoff. But um, yeah, I cuddled up with uh, the Hobgoblins disc, put on the Rick Sloan commentary. Uh, just been enjoying the the heck out of that one. It's a it's a piece of shit movie. It's <laughs> it's hard to get through, man. But it's one of those comfort films for me that I just I really enjoy it all the 
silly campiness and the, the shitty little gremlin hobgoblins. So much fun. But uh, beyond that, I watched Masterminds on, on VHS last night <laughs> with Patrick Fucking Stewart. Pat- Patrick and, uh, Stewart shit. Yeah. yeah, I found out that that was never even released on DVD. It's one of those weird studio movies that from late in the era that's only on VHS. But um, it's a really bad as a as this little piece of shit hacker that tries to uh, save his sister's school. It's good. I like it. Mm. But, nice. Yeah, but beyond that, um, just rewatching Miami Connection, rewatching uh, Manos, The Hands of Fate, People Under the Stairs. Cheap Thrills, and Red Rock West to prepare for our new block of episodes at the Splathouse. I'm a big fan of Red Rock West. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. That was, that was a big influence on uh, uh, the feature film I'm making right now called Medius Res, and I was fortunate enough to actually meet John Dahl years ago uh, through a professor in college and got to know him, and yeah, he was nice enough to come on to the show and talk to us about that picture. Yeah, I'm a big uh, Joyride fan, so I uh, I've always like um, John Dahl, especially like um, Rounders as well. Yeah, Rounders is is his big one for for people of our generation. You know, that went to, went to high school when that when that film came out. Joyride. When I met him in person um, the first time, he wasn't really keen on talking Joyride too much. I think because it was kind of his better known film at the time he was more focused on uh the great raid um talking to me about the great raid and working with uh james franco and then he really he really wanted to talk to me about his newest picture at the time which was uh, uh you kill me right with uh ben kingsley well yeah. that was a weird that was a weird fucking night taya leone was so drunk at this party and she just kept asking my wife and i if we had her number and like, yeah, i mean we should I was like, Becky, we should get her number, right? Like, we should take this opportunity to get Taya Leone's number. But uh, I guess tragically, that's probably when she found out David Duchovny was cheating on her and oh, shit. an alcoholic. And yeah, but no, high times, man. Good times. <laughs> that's all I got. That sounds like a good time. <laughs> really good time. It, it was a time for sure. All right, so I'm gonna really shit shit on. Uh, What's on your doorstep with, uh, you know, part human, part shark, all psychopath. Um, Mark, Mark, uh, Polonius film, uh, shark, Sharkenstein oh or Sharken, Sharkenstein, huh? Oh my um, God. Whatever you want to say it. Uh, I, I've watched, I, I grew up, you know, renting, uh, Polonia films at, uh, my local video store, like Terror House and Splatter Farm. Um, shot on video, horror is what he was known for. And um, seeing something that's brand new, um, and he still maintains that really goofy aspect, and really, like, like the, I, I don't care for the film at all. But I admire, because I, I actually just said this on the last episode when I was talking about Donald Farmer's Shark Exorcist. It's the same thing. Like, both of those guys made direct-to-video films. Uh, they both recently made a shark movie. And, like, they're still doing what they love. 
and they're just making whatever the fuck they want. I think that's pretty cool. Like, you know, if you're into goofy shark films, which a lot of people are, uh, this might be right up your alley because it has some of the worst special effects I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, they just literally have a, like, claymation shark that they, like, wave in front of the screen when it's coming. Yes. And then, like, it just goes, like, it takes up the whole entire screen and flies by and then somebody's dead. <laughs> and it, like, it eats them. It's it, it's great in that sense. It's just, you know, and it's, um, of course, Nazis are involved and they weaponize the shark. Um, I will tell you, there's a little talk about Hitler with the shark, so if you know where oh. this is going, uh-oh. Um, but anyways, uh, f- fun little film. Um, next up was um, uh, Full Moon, just released uh, Meridian on, um, I think, guess that's how you say it, Meridian? Yeah. Uh, Char- Charles Band uh, directed film. This is like a, you know, a take on an erotic Beauty and the Beast um, it's got some heavy adult themes, but also keeps it kind of, you know, restrained to that point where it doesn't go full-fledged, you know, erotic. Because it's obviously Charles Band is going to some, you know, trying to tell this, like, gothic romance, um, you know, story while doing, you know, showing uh, Cheryl and Finn naked. Whoa, by the way. Um, but, you know, it's, it's about... Uh, Two friends, uh, Sherilyn Finn inherits this castle. Her friend is an artist. Um, she's got to do this painting thing, but she's, you know, goes to Italy for, a, you know, kind of a weekend getaway, and they come across this, like, small little circus that's, you know, floating around town. Um, kind of get involved with the performers, uh, invite them back to the castle. There's a lot of drugs and some kind of a little bit of rapey stuff that happens. Um, and then... You know, it's kind of this wants to keep that fairy tale mentality, but also wants to kind of, you know, throw the reins down and say, fuck it. And that's like some of these sequences with the sex, like 15 minutes. I was like, what the hell is happening? Like, when does Charles Band start making, like, you know, gothic romance uh, films and takes his, like, little thing obsession? Because, you know, he has, like, fucking 15,000 movies about little things. Like, there's the other dolls, fucking ghouls, (laughs) like, Puppet Masters, Puppets, Shrieker. Like, it's all these, like, he's obsessed with little things attacking people. Head of the family's a little thing. Yeah, the demonic toys. Like, this guy loves (laughs) small things. Like, he just loves little creatures. So, it was uh, good to see that element like completely ignored. There's not even anything little that shows up. I thought there's going to be like a little demon that pops up every once in a while. I've actually never seen this film before. This is my first time. Um, but I was, I was really, uh, impressed. I wasn't a huge fan of the film, but I was impressed with what I was seeing, what Charles band was doing. And I know that everybody's like, Oh, they, people are too quick to snub Charles band these days. And I agree. The guy is a con artist and, um, you know, he's done some kind of really, really, shitty things um, in the past few years. But that said, I think he's learned his lesson, obviously. Um, which, I, I let me just jump back. When I first got this Blu-ray, I was like, oh, okay, cool. What are they doing? So I see remastered, digitally restored from the original 35-millimeter uh, camera negative. And I was like, is it really? 
Like, are we just going to get a DVD on a Blu-ray? Is this a Charles Band thing where he's like, oh, 4K scan, new Blu-ray. It actually looks pretty good, so I am going to give him credit on that. Um, but if you are uh, kind of on the Charles Band uh, bandwagon of hating him, you got to think this guy has created so many iconic uh, horror films, and not only did he produce a lot of these films and write and direct a lot of these films, but he also tried to get, like, if you were renting in the video stores in the 80s and 90s, Charles Band had movies for you there because he was running Wizard Video. He was running all of that stuff. He was putting Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Zombie in stores for you to rent. Like, you know, he's a, a, a big, big, like, reason why all of us, if you're a hardcore horror fan, he's one of the reasons why you probably are, because you were able to obtain some of those movies. So I always have Charles Band to thank because of that. You know, I don't ever want to just shit on Charles Band because of the whole VHS big box thing that he did a few years ago and kind of the little lies that he tells every once in a while. But anyways, uh, moving along um, was, uh, you know, we had Nico be on the show um, a few episodes ago, and he's got his new label, Real Gore, releasing. He also has a... um, Indiegogo now for Cold Epics to release, uh, I think it was at six, six Blu-rays. Uh, so he's trying to raise money for that. Um, but this is uh, number two in Real Gore releasing, which I've talked about this film numerous times on the show, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. Um, I originally mentioned this uh, movie probably about a year ago when Pete Toombs was on our show for Mondo Macabro. I asked him about this movie. Um, because this would be a perfect movie for them to pick up. And he said the rights were kind of weird and tied up. Well, Real Gore Releasing, uh, Nico B's new label, uh, released it's called Masks. It's a, uh, it's a giallo, uh, flick. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a, it's, I, I rewatched it. I, I still, I still dig it. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a giallo film. It's 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 a it's kind of a weird take on Suspiria, but definitely follows more of the giallo aspect rather than the supernatural aspect. Um, you know, it's got great cinematography. It's got one of the girl that plays Stella in this movie. She's probably one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, but it's got great cinematography. It's got a great score. The score comes with. Um, the Blu-ray, um, you know, really cool packaging that Nico did on these. So definitely pick it up if you're a fan of Giallo films. It is more or less on the kind of the on a budget Giallo, but it shows you that if you, if this movie entertained you a Giallo on a budget, then it must be doing something right because sometimes, you know, if you guys watched violent shit the movie, then you kind of know like, oh. Whoa, because that was apparently a Jalo film, but I didn't catch that at all. Um, did you guys watch Violent Shit, the remake yet? Nope. No, I haven't seen it yet. No, I'm, <clears throat> I've been meaning to get to both of those. You won't see it. <laughs> Dude, my, to watch this is crazy. Hey, uh, I just got some inside information about the Phantasm box set. Do you guys want to hear it? Spill it. 
Like right now, right like now? Right now, right now. Just got some information. What did Josh text you? <laughs> <laughs> um, so Wilgo releasing is releasing the Phantasm films. They've run into some. They had run into some, into some red tape with some of the uh, rights to some of the, a lot of the special features on some of the other films. Um, <clears throat> I'm being told that all five films will be in the box set. Hmm. What were so, we? What were we wondering about Phantasm Two? Yes, uh, okay. I was curious about that. So. Uh, all five films, um, they're bringing over a whole lot of uh, extras on all the films, and uh, I'm super pumped. So, exclusive. I don't know exclusive, but this just uh, just got the word on that. So, mm. so there you go, because Phantasm Remastered and um, Ravager are coming out on Blu-ray in December. So, you know, if you want to hold out, for the box set, it's it's definitely happening, and you can probably uh, get rid of your Phantasm Two Blu-ray. I'm holding well, out until I see all the specs, though. <laughs> well, I I hope that they release the other three singles because, like, I'm not gonna wait for a fucking box set. I'm by, and plus, I don't, I'm not a like I like individual discs. I like individual packaging. Like, I'm not a big fan of box sets because, like, the thing is, like, oh, cool, Child's Play box set, all six movies, guess what? One gets re-released, another one comes out. Like, it's like, what the fuck? You know? Mm-hmm. So that always bothers me. I'm, not, yeah, I'm never I'm a fan been a big box, box. You would be. Um, <laughs> uh, next up was uh, Artsploitation's uh, Killbillies. Uh, they just should have stuck with. I mean, the Killbillies does catch my eye. Like as soon as I heard Killbillies, I said yes, I'm in. Um, but then I like look at it. I'm like, ah, shit. Uh, this movie's a little too silly. It, it is, but the movie's not silly. It's just it really tries to use that backwoods like you know creature inbred thing. But you know. Kind of hills have eyes, stuff like that, but make it very contained and just overly kind of rapey and brutal. Not my bag, really, but um, if you're into, like, psychopath uh, hillbillies that are inbred that have, like, you know, cysts all over them and they want to rape people, then maybe it's for you. I don't know. Not, I'm not a big fan of those movies anyway. So I don't, I don't uh, know what Arsploitation is doing with their DVD-only releases. I'm because kinda... they probably know no one's going to buy these movies. Yeah, they're probably playing it smart. I, I know. I you know they're releasing because I mean it's it's not it's not a good movie. Like you know I, I'm glad the movie got distribution, but like it's one of those things where. Like, you know, they had The Perfect Husband that was, you know, got great reviews. They had Observance that got great reviews. And those movies are decent. But, you know, stuff like Killbillies, like, I, I don't see anybody, like, I think the name alone kind of turns people away. Like, people like us, so it's like, oh, God, that sounds hilarious. And then when you find out it's like a real movie and it's like straightforward, I, I don't know. It's not, it doesn't sound fun anymore. Hmm. It sounds like a Saturday night. Or a Saturday morning cartoon for like Quentin Tarantino or something. The Killbillies. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little, it's a little too cutesy. But I guess my question is this: You would know this, Brad. Does art exploitation have a big imprint with um, streaming online? Like, how are they making their money if it's not through these DVD sales? Why would they 
Well, I mean, they have purchase streaming on Voodoo. Oh, okay. Yeah, you could purchase. Uh, they usually have them out on Voodoo way before they do on DVD. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, they're still HD, but I, I don't know. It, it's it's an odd thing. I mean, maybe people do purchase because I think they have a subscription. I think through their website where you can like purchase all their movies or something like that. I at one time oh, okay. I thought they did, but I, I could be wrong now. They might have taken that away because they went. You know, they were you know, uh, around and just doing DVDs and then they went bankrupt and kind of disappeared. Um, and then they came back and they released a slew of great movies on Blu-ray and then they just kind of started doing DVDs again. So I'm waiting for, you know, them to really power forward again here, uh, soon. Like, so. like Der Bunker, man. Like when that came out, I was like, oh shit, here we go. Cause that yeah. film well, they fantastic. had, they had that like Der Bunker, they had observance and yeah. they had perfect husband. I wasn't a huge fan of those other two, but I really loved Der Bunker, but like, I still enjoyed those films for the most part, but like this kind of stuff that they have lined up, I'm not too much into that. Like I, I I'm glad that they are releasing that kind of weird side of cinema that somebody is, but it's just some of those movies aren't for me. Um, this is uh, MVD uh, released this. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by this movie. I remember hearing about it years ago uh, when Stephen Byro was talking about it. He runs Unearth Films. He wrote this movie. It's called, I think you'd like this, Mike. It's called Bubba the Redneck Werewolf. Um, <laughs> and like when I heard the title, I was like, no. I don't want to see that movie. Um, but then it started getting a little bit of praise, and I was like, okay, it was. I knew it was filmed in Florida. I kind of knew the filmmakers that made it. Um, you know, Stephen Byer is a good guy. He's funny. But how far, like, how much, how funny can it be an hour and, you know, 30, 40-minute movie of a guy that turns into a werewolf? Because I do like Wolf Cop, but I like the idea of Wolf Cop more. Um, yeah. The movie's, uh eh, they're okay, but, um, you know, how can we do that again, but with no money? And I was like, uh, well, this is a wolf cop, of course, but, you know, the same same aspect. A guy turns into a fucking werewolf, um, but it's fucking funny. Like, it, it doesn't keep playing to the werewolf joke. It bounces around. It has some great moments, some great comedy. It gets really stupid at times. But it keeps you entertained, and I was ple- pleasantly surprised by it. Stephen Byro did a pretty good job on that script, I must say. For being a small, independent um, comedy, using kind of a, you know, just a, a, a redneck turns into a werewolf, ha ha ha, um, it actually does put a little laughter in my belly. <laughs> So I was I was surprised. If you're into that type of stuff as well, then that's definitely for you, 100. percent Does the wolf have like a cute stripe of red behind the the nape of its neck or something? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, um, next up was uh, Warner Archive released uh, Body Snatchers, which I was surprised yeah. that they released Body Snatchers on Blu-ray because, uh, I, I mean, maybe they are seeing that, oh, man, our horror Blu-rays actually sell really well. Um, I was always a fan of this. I'm a fan of every Invasion of the Body Snatchers movie, and there's, what, like fucking 10,000 remakes of it. Um, even, but this, even Invasion with uh, Nicole Oh, Invasion's really yeah. good, dude. What? Invasion's really good. <sighs> man, yeah, I'm, with, I'm with Brad on this one. I love fucking pie people movies they're 
incredible. I, I watched like, uh, the original Invasion of Body Snatchers about two weeks ago, but man, it holds up. I love that. Yeah, no, the original was great. Yeah, but like each one, they kind of go in a different direction with it, and that's what I love. Like you have three remakes, but not none of them are really similar. They have like similarities with certain aspects of it, but they always try to do something new with the story. Um, I like how kind of contained this this one is, um, being it's mainly takes entirely place on a military base um, versus you know kind of the world you know stuff between the you know the last two and an also invasion. This one's a little more toned down, and you know when you have Ferrera directing this movie and fucking Larry Cohen and Stuart Gordon writing a script, yeah. Like, I'm going to repeat that. Larry Cohen <laughs> and Stuart Gordon writing a script together, basically. Like, holy fucking shit. Um, but it's, I've loved this movie since I was little, and I haven't watched it in years. So it's kind of really, I was really looking forward to watching this again, and it still holds up. There's some really, really cool moments. Um, you know, one kind of towards, uh, what's her name? She's. I always thought she was really beautiful. Um, she plays in Child's Play too. She's the stepsister. Terry Terry Kinney is that her name? That sounds like a name. It'll. It's definitely. Uh... <clears throat> I don't. I, I don't know. Well, anyways, um, there's a really cool moment towards the end that always like tickles my nuts. Um, I get, I get really excited when that scene happens because it's really fucking cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, standard, you know, people are taken slowly being taken over by these little pods and they turn into these fucking drones and like, I mean, it's this fucking invasion of the body snatchers, just a different aspect of it, but, uh, really great film. Great, uh, you know, great disc as, as far as it looks, um, you know, right. Um, yeah, it's bare, it's bare bones. Um, but the, the, the picture looks, looks great. It's just an HD master, of course. No, no tweaking or anything with it. It just looks like, hey, we remastered this years ago. We're going to slap it on a Blu-ray. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Uh, next up was, uh, Cinelicious. They, um, released Belladonna's Sadness. I was kind of looking forward to this because, um, this played at a few festivals. This also played a Fantastic Fest and I didn't get to see it. Um, mainly because not too big on the Japanese thing. You know, uh, like I love live action Japanese, uh, cinema, but sometimes when I hear, oh, Japanese cartoons or anime, I'm like, oh, there's gonna be dicks everywhere and coming. <laughs> like, I'm not into this thing. I'm not into well, anime. Well, that's stereotyping, Brad. Well, that's what it is. Yeah, there's also uh, tentacle, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> Tentai! Tentai! <laughs> All this other shit. But, anyways, um,. That said, this does have that in there. Um, however, <laughs> <laughs> this movie was made like in 1973 or something, and it was released only in Japan and Europe. Um, and then it became as a lost film. Um, and then it was re-released, I think, in Japan on VHS. Um, and then Spectrovision and Cinelicious got together and did a, I guess, a, I think it's a 4K scan of the 35... Uh, 
millimeter, and they also found some lost footage uh, in the film, and they they pieced it all together. Um, I'm usually not a fan of these movies, but this is one of my probably favorite new movies of the year. Um, it's it's odd, and it's definitely not for everybody, but it's a very dark and twisted tale um, and very experimental with its art and storytelling that it grabs you immediately. And some of the imagery in this movie is just so fucking hard. Like, they... They know what they're doing, and it's odd because it's not, like, all, like, cartoon, like, regular animation. It's a lot of, like, paintings and then panning over the painting while telling a story. Hmm. Does that make sense? Like, have you ever seen that? Kind of like in school when you're watching, like, you know, old, like, you know, instructional, like, history videos um, where, you know, the narrator is panning over the picture or something and telling the story. Well, that's what a lot of it's like. There's also a lot of movement in animation. But it's a lot, um, like, a lot of it's watercolor paintings, which was kind of new to me. Like, you know, it's, a lot of the stuff's hand-drawn, it looks beautiful, but there's a lot of, um, uh, watercolors. And that was kind of, uh, you know, bizarre, seeing that. But, um, a really, it's very sexual, it's, um, very phallic-y, and, uh... It's kind of got a heartbreaking story. Um, short, it's about a peasant uh, woman who uh, marries a man. Um, on their wedding night, she gets taken up to this baron. Um, he want They pay taxes in one cow. He wants ten cows. They can't afford it, so he takes her, kicks the guy out of the village, takes her and rapes her, and it all kind of d- dives down, dwindles down from there, and... Um, it gets really fucking heartbreaking. So if you want to watch something kind of emotional, uh, watch Belladonna Sadness. If you have Amazon Prime, you can watch it for free. Yeah, I saw that. Um, that's good to hear, Brad, that, that you enjoyed it. I'm also not a huge fan of anime, but I had first learned about this movie probably about 10 years ago. I think, I don't think he directed it, but didn't Osama Tezuka have something to do with it? Either writing or. He didn't direct it because the guy that directed it is like E something. His first name is E. But, um, yeah, it was like a trilogy. Yeah, Um, yeah. And I think Tezuka did a couple of the the earlier films, but. Yeah, this was their last film together. Um, that's the reason why they made it and then they went bankrupt. That's the reason why the film didn't really go anywhere because they released it and then they went bankrupt and then it was just disappeared. His more adult stories are fantastic. He did this great adaptation on the the life of Buddha that I share with uh, my high school students that is just profound in its its storytelling. Yeah, it's it's got a great story surrounding and the, the narration and the dialogue is very, very powerful and um I don't know, like it's 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 definitely not for everybody, but if you're really into artsy stuff and want to see a really heartbreaking tale with some kind of haunting imagery as far as like drawings and paintings, then this is definitely right up your alley. There's one there's like two sequences in the movie where I was watching it and I was like I cringed. I was like, Oh my god. 
Like, I couldn't imagine if this, like, there's no way they could show this, like, you know, actually film this with people. Like, it's, I mean, you can't, there's certain things you just can't do, you know. It's just, that's the reason why people like anime is because there's just, you can't make water, you know, uh, wind or something move the way you want it to. So that's the reason why you can, uh, you can control everything. And they, and the things that they do in this is just, it's really kind of, it's horrifying. Uh, some of the sequences. But, uh, yeah, definitely check it out. Um, speaking of Belladonna, this is a good segue. Speaking of Belladonna, I, um, I'm a, I'm a big Toby Hooper fan. And, um, there's one Toby Hooper movie that I've never seen until recently. And that was The Mangler. Um, I tweeted out The Mangler is probably the best movie ever made the other day, and a lot of people retweeted and favorited that tweet. And I also got a lot of people saying, what the fuck are you talking about? Well, I am dead fucking serious when I say I fucking love The Mangler. Um, I love Toby Hooper. I love his insanity. The guy is fucking off his rocker 100%. And um, the reason why I talk about Belladonna is because they talk about Belladonna in this movie as a drug and stuff like that. Um, but it is about a machine that irons and presses and folds laundry, um, and it's possessed. And Ted Levine, speaking of Joyride, here's another segue. Ted Levine is like... He's the shit, man. He's always been a great fucking actor. He's great as, you know, fucking um, Rusty Nail and Joyride. He's great in this. He's great in a movie that just was released a couple years ago. It was, like, in my top ten for a little while called Banshee Chapter. Um, you know, he's uh, he, he's great in the Hills Have Eyes remake. Like, oh, yeah. He, you know, he's phenomenal in that. He's, yeah, he's a good every, dad. Everything he's in, he is. I just love his voice. Number one, he's Would got such a <laughs> yeah. It's another Silence of the Lambs. There you go. Um, but he, he's such a great actor and just a great character actor. And um, he he's perfect because he can really fucking turn it out sometimes as be playing a crazy person, and he gets to play a crazy person in The Mangler. And that's what I love about Toby Hooper films. And I, I don't know if I've, I guess I've always noticed it. And if, if that person that keeps taking my thoughts and writing them in articles, I swear to God, I'll fucking brain you if you steal this. Um, <laughs> I love Toby Hooper's, like how his heroes are crazy as well as the villains. Like his villains are already insane. But his heroines, his, you know, his protagonists, they are going crazy at the exact same time. Look at the insanity that is filled in his movies. Like, take Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The family's crazy. But Stretch and Lefty are going fucking crazy at the same time. Yeah. Like, they are going insane. The same thing as, like, Poltergeist. We have, you know, the fucking ghosts going there. But... Look at the family. Look how insane. Look at their insanity that they're going through. Fucking a tree eats a kid for Christ's sakes. You know? Um, or eat alive. Where yeah, I was just going to say. Insane. Yeah, yeah, eating alive. Like, everybody's insane. The toolbox murders, even though people shit on that. Like, um, you know, it, it's just he has such a way of storytelling that it's just, it's like a drug-fueled nightmare. And that's exactly what the Mangler is, and that's why I love it so much. Um, it's just, 
it's just one scene that gets over the top right after the other. And I tell you, that fucking ending when the fucking mangler does its shit and goes ape shit, oh my god, I had the biggest fucking boner. Um, but yeah, uh, the mangler, if you haven't seen it, watch it. If it's been a while and you rented it when you were a kid and you're like, that movie sucks, nope, rewatch it, please, because people's opinions change. This movie kicks so much ass. Yes, it is fucking crazy, but if you love Toby Hooper's insanity and how crazy he can get, then um, it deserves a rewatch for sure. And then... Oh, that was released uh, by Warner Archive, actually. Oh, and that DVD? was another thing. Yeah, yeah, DVD. That was another thing I was going to say. So I, I... Well, let me uh, cover this one, too. So I watched The Giver Part 2. You just talked about... Um, um, wait, no, you didn't talk about that. No, I, talk I originally talked about uh, Giver, yeah. Yeah, so the the Giver 2 uh, came out, as well as the first Giver from War Archive. Um, but, um, I mean, it's the same fucking movie. It's just, it it's so odd, the Giver 2, because the, the first Giver, there's action and karate fighting and kick fighting everywhere um, throughout the movie. In the second one, there's, like, one big fight scene in the beginning, and then an hour of storytelling, hmm. and then it just goes fucking insane with fucking creatures and fucking fighting. It just gets so crazy. But, um, yeah, I, I still love one and two, so that's my coverage on the second one. Um, but both of these are Warner Archive. But when I popped them in, I noticed something. Warner Archive is not doing, like, new discs. They copied the old New Line discs. And they transferred it to their DVD. Like, they didn't even do new menus or anything. All they did was take everything. They copied the fucking DVD. Yeah, they just... And they, uh... and they stuck it on another one. No, it's, I'm not saying they, like, cop like, this is a bird DVD. Everybody knows that. But it's literally a copy of the New Line DVD. Is Mike walking around? What is <laughs> that? I don't hear his footsteps. Yeah, I'm I'm standing. I pace when I'm. Yeah. <laughs> My God. I'm high maintenance, man. It's flat house sometimes. You 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 sound like it. All right, and last but not least, um, all of films released this. I wasn't expecting much, but this movie fucking kicked a lot of ass. Um, it's a uh, Return of Dracula. Um, I was like I said, this movie is nineteen. What year was this? Nineteen fifty-eight. Yeah, nineteen fifty-eight. Um. The I should have been more prepared. I couldn't pronounce his name. Um, Francis Laridere. He plays uh, Dracula, but it's a really fucking good movie. Um, uh, basically, Dracula comes back to town. He kills an artist um, and poses as the artist. The family that is providing a home for the artist haven't hasn't seen that. It's like the uncle. Yeah, hasn't seen him um, since he was little, so he can he just takes on this persona of this artist while he's uh, kind of planning his um, you know divine plan of taking over and creating a new like Transylvania while all these people are after him because they know he escaped Transylvania. Um, but definitely has some great moments, great imagery. It's got a great soundtrack. It uses the old uh, Mozart. Uh, was it Dice? Uh, how do you say that? It's from The Shining. 
It's the theme song from The Shining, whatever that's called. I can't remember. Like Dice Ira, something like that. Anybody? You guys suck. Sure. Um, but um, a, a great, a great little black and white Dracula tale. And uh, Dracula movies are always overdone for me. Like every time, like it's hard for me to get into certain Dracula films. And this is one, you know, being that this wasn't a more of a well-known one and wasn't kind of like a big Universal production. It kind of, I guess, fell by the wayside for me. So I was like, eh, I'll give it a shot. Um, maybe it was my low expectations. I loved it so much, but um, it's a really, really good film. So uh, definitely check it out. Of course, all of in their bare bones DVDs, but I mean, I'm sure it's cheap. So cool. That one's DVD, not blue. No, it's Blu-ray. Yeah. Oh, okay. And uh, that's pretty much it. We will be talking Manhattan Baby and the Bloodstained Butterfly in just a little bit. But first, Josh Obershaw has the news. Josh, what's up, man? What's up, everybody? Hope everyone had a great Halloween. Well, yes. (laughs) I do the family Halloweens, you know. Hang out and All right. walk the kids around the block a few times, get some candy. That's about it. Pretty low key. How about how about you? What did you? Uh, what was your Halloween like? Uh, well, I am currently a tutor at uh, the local community college here, so I had to go to work today. But it was cool. I got to. I didn't have a costume, but I I, I wore my horror fandom on my sleeve, nice. and uh, it it was it was just fun going to work and seeing a whole bunch of whole bunch of younger. Kids just uh, dressed up, dressed up as some crazy shit. And other than that, it was pretty low key. I uh, managed to squeeze in a couple of a uh, couple of horror movies, like my annual watch of John Carpenter's Halloween, and also a first time viewing of Nine Seven Six Evil. Oh, nice! How'd which is pretty go? nutty. Uh, it was it was definitely pretty pretty uh, nutty. If uh, yeah. people are familiar with that. That's the movie Robert England directed and Stephen Jeffries, you know, evil from Fright Night. Uh, he was great in it. I mean, it's very, very similar to something like Evil Speak, but I think Evil Speak's a little bit more solid. There's something really uh, I felt that was a little off about uh, 976 Evil, but it yeah. was pretty enjoyable. Yeah, that's one of those I always like would look at the back and and those on those the VHS case, like the back was all gory. Like they didn't shy away from showing gory crap. You know, in, in the yeah. little pictures on the back of the boxes. So I always, I always would just kind of stare at that and just kind of like, you know, think about what, what could this movie possibly be? You know, I finally watched it a couple years ago. So, all right, man. Cool. Uh, what, uh, what have you got for us? Well, speaking of Halloween, um, a couple of video labels decided to use the most blessed favorite holiday of the year to, uh, Drop some announcements, and I want to start off with uh, Arrow first because they announced on Halloween that they are releasing sometime in 2017 the House Collection, and yes. we can assume oh, we can assume they're go- it's going to be a box set of all four movies in the House franchise, including House Three, which is known here in the U.S. by another title, The Horror Show, which well, Screen, Screen Factory, Factory put out a couple of years that. ago. Do you think do you think uh, they're going to try to do all four? One could assume. I mean, it's called the House Collection. I mean, yeah. you wouldn't want to call it the House Collection by having just the first two movies, which are obviously the ones that 
that people know and just stick house four at the end and not have the the missing third one. So right. I can assume that. I mean, there, there are no other details other than the fact that it's called the house collection. And yeah. they said the news is going to be trickling in in the next few months. So I guess they're working on sort of fangling the rights, you know, trying to get – the, uh, the third movie from Screen Factory to yeah. include in this collection. Well, I mean, it's been done. I mean, I just mentioned uh, earlier in the show when we were in, when we were doing the What's in Your Doorstep segment that I got word that uh, the Phantasm set is going to include all the films. So, well ago, USA was able to get Phantasm 2 uh, from Screen Factory. So, I don't know if that's why there's the delay possibly waiting for the rights to, you know, pass from Screen Factory to them. But that for sure is happening. I got for sure confirmation from a very reliable source uh, from, you know, so. But yeah, so it's happened. So maybe that's what's going to happen here with Arrow. Which would be, which would be great. I would so. love having them all in one box. Yeah, I think that Halloween box set a couple of years ago is kind of like started this trend of, yeah. you know, companies working with each other to try and put all of these movies in you know, under one title. And I think it's just fantastic. Cool. Well, yeah. I can't wait to see what, uh, all, all the news that comes out with that house two, uh, is a lot of fun. And it uh, totally is. I, 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 it's a, I can't remember house one. I, I, it's like house two is the one that I remember the most. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I enjoyed house when I first saw it. But I just remember House 2 just being like the really, really fun one, even though it's a little bit more humor than horror. Yeah, it's totally it's wacky. Just, yeah, it is totally wacky, but I love it. I'm I'm thrilled to, to finally see that come in the Blu-ray. I did, and all, I, I did also, ask Arrow uh, if they could look into the Carnosaur trilogy. So, <laughs> I mean, if they're doing the House you know, collection, they might as well look into Carnosaur. They told me that they would all look right, into it. fair they, enough. They did tell me they'd look into it. So I'm gonna, oh yeah, I'm gonna I actually that. saw that tweet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, moving on, the the other big thing that was um, revealed on Halloween was Screen Factory because they announced ten new titles, man. Wow, ten new ones coming out in the next few months, and those movies are Tales from the Hood, Dead Time Stories, Firestarter. Demented, What's the Matter with Helen, The Screaming Skull, The Vagrant, which they already put out on DVD as uh, one of their all-night horror movie marathon DVDs, uh, The Angry Red Planet, <clears throat> uh, the movie Virus with Jamie Lee Curtis, and for some reason, the Psycho remake. Hmm. Yeah. I saw, yeah. <laughs> Fuck that movie. <laughs> Seriously, I, I cannot stand I, that, that remake. I haven't seen it, and I refuse to. It's, it's like, what's the point? It's a shot-by-shot remake with different actors, and oh, there's just something about the original Psycho in black and white. The, the, the violence of it still feels, I guess, more vis- visceral than... Uh, then what, what the, the remake and the remake tried to add a little kind of little more sleaze factor with him looking through the hole in the wall and, 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 and Jack, jacking off, you know, it's just like, I don't know. I, I don't know. Whatever. But apparently, 
it'll have its fans and we'll see all these articles on uh you know how it's a misunderstood <laughs> remake uh, of and course. everything but uh, I'm going to I'm going to hold by my stance that I cannot stand it but hey <laughs> more power to them right i guess if you're a a real diehard cycle completist yeah it's for you but i don't know I'm still, I'm still no. I mean, it's been 18 years, but I'm still very much a no on that. Has it been that long? Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to believe. Uh, More news. Uh, 88 Films just also dropped a a bunch of titles that they're going to be putting out on on Blu-ray, including uh, The Mighty Peking Man, Amok, Eliminators, which is another Screen Factory title, Killer Constable. Navajo Joe and uh, yep, a couple of more movies that Code Red are also putting out. Syndicate Sadists and 2019 After the Fall of New York. Which 88 Films is also going to be releasing, I believe. Yep. <laughs> so those... <laughs> Boy, the ongoing saga of that little... Uh... It cracks me up. It does. And, uh, well, speaking of uh, uh, Code Red, Vinegar Syndrome announced uh, that they're prepping for Blu-ray a couple titles for 2017, uh, Terminal Island and Group Marriage. And I just saw a tweet from uh, from Brian Sauer. He picked up a, a couple of Code Red titles, and two of them were Terminal Island and Group Marriage. What? Uh, DVDs or Blu-rays? I'm serious. Uh, I looked at the photo. They're Blu-rays. I tried looking them up on the Code Red site, but yeah, oh, guess what? It's not up. <laughs> oh my god! Wow, <laughs> that was they were announced back yeah. in May. That's a man. That's crazy. Well, right. <clears throat> we shall see what happens there. Yep. So, uh, if you have any news, yeah. uh, I'm sure the Vinegar Syndrome guys they do listen to the show every now and then. So, if you guys have any news on that, hit me up. Curious to what's going on. Yeah. It's... Well, next up from uh, Shriek Show, they're going to be putting out 1971's Dracula versus Frankenstein, and this one is coming out. On uh, December 13th, uh, the film stars Lon Chaney Jr. in one of his final performances, J. Carroll Nash in his final film. And it looks kind of hammerish, I guess. But yeah, it's going to include uh, quite a few bonus features. There's going to be an audio commentary by writer producer Sam Sherman, a documentary on independent international pictures. Okay, that's who's putting out. But it's, you know, 70s. It's. I guess it's kind of in that in that sort of hammerish vein. Uh, rare alternate ending, deleted scenes, of the deleted scene with famous Monsters editor Forrest J. Ackerman, and Dracula. Rare 8mm movie location footage, and of course, you know, a theatrical trailer and TV spot. So, Dracula vs. Frankenstein, December 13th. So uh, we got some uh, new movie news that's uh, that I want to get to. First of all, 
uh, speaking of Wellgo USA, they're going to be putting out uh, Train to Busan on February 27th. And come, we got a couple from Lionsgate. First up, Rob Zombies 31 has a release date. That's going to be December 20th. And there's only a couple of um, a couple of bonus features. One is In Hell Everyone Loves Popcorn, the making of 31 documentary. I don't know if that's going to be as, you know, an ex- uh, expansive documentary as something like what he did with the Devil's Rejects or with uh, with Halloween. I want to say that it is, but I'm not uh, 100% sure. I was kind of bummed that it's not uh, the director's cut. I, I heard that he had... He had a director's cut on that. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I think I kind of heard something about that too, but the, uh, nothing I've read that said that it was going to be a director's cut. Yeah. Oh well. I'm I'm well, I'm torn on this. I, I'll probably. I mean, this. I could have. I think I could have bought this for like six dollars and sixty six cents from Voodoo. I should have just done that. But I, I was just going to rent it because I've heard, you know. Um, I've heard mixed things. Yeah, uh, the documentary is going to be about four hours. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I guess if that—I mean, if it's going to be like the documentaries the, that he made for the Devil's Rejects and Halloween, I guess that's worth picking up. Then, I mean, if you're a fan of the movie, that is. I know it's a—you know—it's a Rob Zombie movie. There are fans, and then there are people that absolutely hate it. But if you uh, do like his movies and. Um, the bonus features kind of seem light to you. That's probably because the uh, the documentary is is pretty chunky. So yeah. I, I'm I'm not might 100%, be worth your time. Yeah, I'm not 100 percent positive. I know that there's. I mean, that has to be because uh, that's the only documentary on there. Some people were saying it was digital only, but I think the documentary is going to be available if you buy it digitally too. I guess I don't know. I'm getting I'm getting like all these mixed things on this one for some reason. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, I think, but uh, you know. Either way, Rob Zombie making movies is a, I think, is a good thing. So, I'll be, I agree. Ch- I'll be checking it out. Cool. Well, uh, Lionsgate also has a release date for Blair Witch. Uh, that one's coming out on January third, and uh, has an audio commentary with Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett. Never Ending Night: The Making of Blair Witch. This is a six-part documentary. Plus, you also got another featurette called House of Horrors: Exploring the Set. So that's pretty cool. So that's probably that's most likely going to be like the first major horror home video release of the year. Blair Witch, January third. Sweet. Yep. And you guys remember we were talking a couple of weeks ago about the uh, restoration of Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Well, that is actually going to get a Blu-ray, Blu-ray release as well from Dark Sky Films, and it's going to be available December 6th. So that's just right around the corner, almost around this, pretty much the same day the Phantasm remastered Blu-ray comes <laughs> out. I, I didn't even know, I didn't even catch that. That didn't even register until just now. Holy shit. Uh, special features for this one, we got a 4K restoration in defense of Henry uh, and appreciation. Henry versus MPAA, a visual history. Henry at the BBFC. It's either you or them. An interview with artist Joe Coleman. In the round, a conversation with John McNaughton. Portrait, the making of Henry. Deleted scenes and outtakes. Feature commentary with uh, McNaughton, excuse me. 
interview with McNaughton from 1998, the original trailer, the 30th anniversary trailer, a still gallery, storyboards, and a reversible sleeve featuring original Joe Coleman artwork. So, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, December 6th. Wow. I never bought this on Blu-ray because I felt like the DVD, like the movie's so ugly anyway that, you know, uh, it, it was just fine on DVD for me. I'll have to see how how this looks. It's not supposed to look very clean, though, you know what I mean? Kind of like uh, the original. Oh, movie. yeah. Oh, totally. But, I mean, I I own that on Blu-ray, and it still looks dirty as fuck. <laughs> uh, Maniac, or, or do you have that this, this one? Oh, no, uh, Maniac. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like you need to, like, wipe the screen off, like, or, you know, just... It's like just a layer of grime over the scene, over the TV. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a layer of grime on me after watching that. So <laughs> I feel you. And uh, finally, let's go back to Screen Factory, shall we? Now that Halloween is over, you know Thanksgiving's around the corner, and so is Christmas, which means. Black Christmas is coming to Blu-ray, of course, and we have the final list of extras for this two-disc collector's edition. Disc one is going to be a new 2016 2K scan of the negative, audio commentary with director Bob Clark, another commentary with John Saxon and Kier D'Elia, and an audio commentary with Billy, hmm. played by actor uh, Nick Mancuso, um, I wonder if that was on the DVD. I, I wish I had the, the Critical Mass DVD on, on me right now, but I think it's boxed up somewhere. But anyways, uh, there's an audio interview with director Bob Clark as well. Disc 2 has the 2006 Critical Mass HD Master, uh, a new what do we got? A new interview with uh, Art Hindle called Film and Furs, Victims and Virgins Remembering Black Christmas with Lynn Griffin, Black uh, Black Christmas Legacy, a 40th anniversary panel at Fan Expo 2014 featuring John Saxon, Art Hindle, Lynn Griffin, and Nick Mancuso. On screen, a Black Christmas featurette, 12 Days of Black Christmas featurette, a Black Christmas Revisited featurette, some archival interviews with Olivia Hussey, Art Hindle, Margot Kidder, Bob Clark, and John Saxon. A midnight screening Q&A with Bob Clark, John Saxon, and Carl Zitterer. Two scenes with a new vocal soundtrack. Interesting. And original theatrical trailers, TV and radio spots, an alternate title sequence, and a still gallery. Wow. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to pre-order this tomorrow. Yeah, I'll have to trade in my current Blu-ray. Because I, I guess they never, they never, they just... Slap the HD master on on Blu-ray. Uh, I see. So it's, was that the one that was released in uh, uh, Canada only last year, or was this uh, uh, also by Critical Mass? Black Black Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who? Uh, it's it's the one with the you know the the white kind of cover with the looks like the you know Mario kid or with the bag over her head or something like that. Being choked. Oh, okay. That, I think that's the the critical mass blue. Yeah, yeah. It's been out for a while. I, I I finally picked it up last year, and then now, you know, uh, excited to kind of held out on it, and then now, of course, 
I'm going to try to unload that and get this. Cause this one sounds, it, it sounds like they really, I mean, the video quality on that one wasn't that good anyway. So with striking a new mm. master, you know, and restoring it, that's, it's, I can't wait to see how this looks. Neither can I. Yeah. This is one of my favorite all time horror, horror movies. And yeah, like I said, I'm pre-ordering it tomorrow. That's <laughs> a done deal. I'm sold. Yeah. And with that, uh, I bid all of you guys a good night and we'll see you when we see you. All right, Josh. Thanks, man. No problem. All right, gentlemen, uh, let's dive into these two films here. Uh, Let's start off with uh, Blue Underground's release of Manhattan Baby. That's what I was going to (laughs) say. Manhattan, baby. Mm-hmm. Manhattan, baby. Manhattan, baby. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did either of you guys get the three-disc edition? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, with cool. the Blu-ray, DVD, and the compact disc. Yeah, I just have the old Anchor Bay, so I'm excited to hear what's all on this uh, new edition. Uh, well, I mean, Blue Underground is. Uh, I mean, they, they've. I, I've really loved uh, all their recent releases for sure. So, um, but yeah, Manhattan Baby. This is a Fulci film, of course. This is one of his uh, later films. And he teamed up again with uh, Fabio Frizzi for the soundtrack, which is included in this set. Nice. There's actually uh, a great uh, interview with uh, Fabio Frizzi yeah. about all his work that he did with Fulci. It's very uh, heartfelt and emotional. It's really great. And that's what I love about this disc, um, especially, is because if you like Lucio Fulci and uh, all his films, like this really kind of fills in the gaps on kind of if you're, you know, uh, the knowledge gaps, especially that I, that I've had because I've, you know, discovered Fulci and these, and these other directors a little bit later on. So there's a lot I don't know. So the fact that this, that blue underground goes out of the way to really put some really great interviews on here that, that aren't just kind of little puff things about the film itself, but they're, they're about the, the careers of, you know, the career of Fulci for sure. And, uh, Fabio Frizzi. And, uh, so, so even if like, even if I don't like the film as much, uh, I can definitely appreciate, appreciate this, uh, this release. I wasn't a huge fan of Manhattan baby. I'm just going to come out and say it. Uh, I, I, I liked the, the beginning. I thought the beginning was inspired with the, uh, the pyramids and the, you know, that kind of Indiana Jones type stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but once it kind of gets back to Manhattan or wherever they're supposed to be, New York or whatever, it kind of starts, for me, it starts dragging, uh, but it starts to pick up with the Fulci weirdness near the end. So that was my initial uh, gut reaction to the film for seeing it for the first time. But uh, I'm sure both of you have seen this 
more than once. Am I correct on that? At least five for me. Yeah, I've probably seen it like three or four times. Okay. Yeah. Um, so how is it revisiting after you've seen it? You know, what, what was what was your Mike? What was your first when you first saw this? You know, what did you think of it as, as compared it, to how you feel about it now? Yeah, when I first saw it, I definitely had uh, some of the similar opinions that uh, you just stated. Um, I I saw it probably very early on in in discovering Fulci. Definitely. Oh my God, you're gonna solidify my theory. I guarantee it. What? Watch. I have a what? theory behind Manhattan Baby. Why people don't like it. I I love Manhattan Baby. But no, no, I, no, no. Oh. I'm saying that first initial watch. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I'm sure. Yes, if I'm tracking what you're thinking, then yeah, you're probably right. But um, I I watched it after I saw the Beyond and Zombie Two for sure, mm-hmm. for sure. There so you it, go. So it didn't have <laughs> <laughs> it didn't have that kind of Gonzo uh, violence and uh, really just bizarre uh, camera work and storytelling. It's actually like a very well composed. Uh, film i think it's beautifully shot it's one of his best looking pictures in my opinion um the symbolism that he uses in the movie is much deeper and richer than uh than his his previous films in in my opinion um i i think it's a it's a fantastic picture but when i first saw it sean you're absolutely correct it it, it's pacing is a little bit slower um you really have to wait to the end with the the taxidermy attack before you get some (laughs) of that uh (laughs) some of that standard Fulci uh, gruesomeness, but um, I, I, I love it. Well, the yeah, beginning, I mean, there, there's a shot at the beginning where the uh, the guide, like, falls down the hole. That's just incredible. That's so good, yeah. And, and I was like, I started rubbing yeah. my hand. I leaned forward. I'm like, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> and The, uh, uh, the yeah. first line of the movie I fucking love, when uh, when Hacker is uh, bending over to pick up the uh, – the Egyptian scorpion, he goes, I'm going to take this home to Susie. And then uh, the guide says, well, don't forget to tell her it's a, it's a symbol of death. And <laughs> the dad goes, that's a little heavy for a nine-year-old. Like, <laughs> it's, it's a very funny indicator of uh, what's about to unfold over the next 85 minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Are you mm-hmm. clicking? Like, Okay, mm-hmm. Brad, I'm going to call you out now. Are you clicking something? Are you, are you like manhandling your mouse? Like, what's going on there? What are you talking about? Here, click, click, click. I'm not clicking anything. So, I'm, I'm hearing clicking too. We hear clicking. Yeah. I'm not clicking. My hands are on my dick. <laughs> that I believe. You were talking about Sherilyn Fenn uh, naked. Yeah. 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 Well, what I heard year clicking. is that movie, I don't by know. the way? I'm sorry. The, uh, what year is uh, Manhattan Baby? No. What year oh. is uh, Meridian? Oh, really? The, uh, <laughs> the oh, Sherilyn Fenn movie. Oh, probably 1990. Oh, this is like Twin Peaks era, Sherilyn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Era. Yeah. No, Manhattan Baby's 1982, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. 1982. Yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, he had New York Ripper come out that same year and then Manhattan Baby. And his- well, here's the thing is you said something in the beginning that kind of upset me a little bit. You said this was like later. Well, this is like he made this right in his prime. Okay. Like he was coming off of the beyond and – New York Ripper and Conquest and House by the Cemetery. Like, he was making all those films. It was, wasn't was until probably Conquest, is after Conquest, then his films started being, like, not as 
like he wasn't as prominent because he made you like Murder Rock, which was great, but it also has a lot of dancing and kind of just craziness. Um, Enigma and Touch of Death and stuff like that came out later in fucking House of Clocks, which I really love, but a lot of people hate. Um, but, uh, and of course your favorite cat in the brain. So, um, but I have a theory on Manhattan baby and I want to hear this. And, um, I think the reason why a lot of people are always like, ah, yeah, I don't like that. It's because I don't know if they've explored like hardcore Fulci fans like Manhattan baby. People that watch Fulci, like I've seen The Beyond and House by the Cemetery, New York Rippers, Zombie, they're all like, oh, that's his worst movie. Well, I think once you dive into Fulci and you kind of know how his movies are and who he is and working with uh, Dardano Sacchietti a lot, like his movies are really batshit that aren't so polished and... Um, very notable. Like, I think if you watch, like, you know, Door to Silence and Voices from Beyond, um, you know, uh, Zombie 3 even, like, he has this certain just batshit about him and this, this craziness. And I like when he explores that as a filmmaker. And, um, coming off Manhattan Baby, he wanted to do something, uh, a little bit different because, I mean, all these other possession and exorcist films were very popular. And, you know, this was his last film that I believe this is his last film he worked with Dardano Secciati, which I know that I think they had a falling out. And I don't, I think that's another reason why the film, um, is kind of wonky. Um, because I think he, if I remember correctly, it might say it in this booklet, I don't think he stayed the whole entire time of filming. I think that he said peace and he walked away. That was um, his, his last uh, time working with the producer, Fab, uh, Fabrizio de Angelis. <laughs> I don't know. I can't pronounce Wow, that's really good. Um, but I, I think a lot, I think there was a lot of production problems with the film. Um, and that kind of maybe adds to a little bit more of the craziness. But my theory is, is that people judge it along with some of his best work. Right. I think, I think Manhattan Baby works best with Fulci if you look at it with all his work. Um, because it, it feels like a Fulci film. It looks like a Fulci film. Like, it bleeds Fulci. But I think that if you are just watching the mainstream Fulci films, then yes, it is by far by very different. And you may not like it. But I think that if you dive into his westerns... Ooh, um, For the Apocalypse. Yeah, For the Apocalypse is probably one of his best movies ever made. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, kind of his even later 90s stuff... I think that people, if they, if you really dive in to watch, and you, you at least watch, I don't know, 30 Fulci films, and then watch Manhattan Baby, I think you'll respect it a little bit more and like it. Because um, I didn't see Manhattan Baby until later. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I watched a lot. My first Fulci film was Zombie, because I watched that when I was very, very young. Um, and I love that. And then I know that I watched, I bought the diamond 
releasing DVD of, uh, it was a really cheap company that released actually the Beyond and House by the Cemetery. Uh, the Beyond was released the Seven Doors of Death at the time. Oh yeah. Um, but Seven Doors, Seven Doors of Death, um, you know, House by the Cemetery I watched, um, and then I got into kind of, you know, watching all the zombie films, all the sequels, cause he did directed part of, uh, part three, uh, Murder Rock. And I didn't see Manhattan Baby till later, and I watched it. I didn't think anything of it. I was just like, oh, this feels like a Fulci film. This movie's crazy. I, I enjoy it. Um, I will say it's one of my, you know, as far as liking it, yes, there's a lot of more Fulci films that I like more than Manhattan Baby. But I don't think it's very different. Like, people are always like, oh, that movie's crazy. It doesn't feel like a Fulci film. No, it's 100% a Fulci film. It's just... He wanted to, he, you know, in this film, he wants to focus a lot more on the storytelling aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think people are looking to expect something, uh, kind of more in your face. Um, you know, uh, like his other, you know, the beyond and everything with a heavy, heavy score and kind of in your face with gore and stuff. And there's some gory scenes. And, you know, we have the bird attack, which is great. Yeah. Um, but everybody's like, oh, the bird looks fake. Well, what do you think the fucking pipe cleaner spiders look like in the beyond? <laughs> yeah, it's also a reanimated taxidermied bird. It, like, it would look <laughs> fake. You yeah. Know? And then you know, to, take it, to take it one step further, I mean, he really does get in your face. The movie is a collection of shots of people's eyes. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. In face. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, as I was going to say, it's very, like, you know, it, it is very claustrophobic, and it's very, very, you know, it's not as wide as, you know, stuff like Zombie and House by the Cemetery, kind of just how he uses the imagery around and his settings and stuff like that. He does stand very close um, with, with uh, kind of just the, but it's it's great cinematography. It's, you know, some great imagery, and it's very style, very, very stylistic compared to some of his other films as far like there's some great shots in his oh yeah but i think manhattan baby looks good throughout the movie yeah Um, you know i actually wrote a note down for you brad uh (laughs) i i was thinking of that show uh months back where you called out uh one perfect shot you remember you're like all that fucking guy does (laughs) he he puts up shots that are perfectly symmetrical uh yeah no this movie is full of like freeze frames that one perfect shot would love like he uses <laughs> symmetry out his ass in this so it's uh yeah I, I i definitely thought of you and then i thought of uh rob hunter because didn't his didn't film school rejects like combine with one perfect shot oh i don't know huh. I, I thought i knew who one perfect shot was if, if i think about it I, I dig i'd find who it actually is but yeah, yeah i'm not sure he anyway i, yeah. I feel like they were they're somehow uh connected in a, in a way one one thing is interesting about fulci too cuz like i have never really do- dove into his earlier work i mean i've seen white fang like as a kid but then uh we we discussed a lizard in a woman's skin which is to me an incredible film and not really i wouldn't really consider it much of a horror film so it's like he really didn't jump into this you know, everyone talks about Fulci and they're they're all they're thinking about is like zombie and city of the living dead and the beyond. But really that's only a small little, that's only a handful of years. 
I mean, really, like, looking at everything, it's from 79, it was zombie, you know, and then from there, like, through 84 is, uh, or, let's see, uh, 84 Murder Rock, and then, you know, the zombie, then he's doing Zombie 3, and the cat in her brain, and, and, and everything, and steeped into the horror, but I, I feel like maybe Manhattan Baby was almost like his last uh, attempt to try to do, like, a serious film, you know, is, am I wrong in assuming that, because... Because most of the movie is just, you know, more, uh, you know, not not trying to be, you know, batshit crazy Fulcher. He's actually trying to tell a story. Um, Am I wrong no. in that or no? <clears throat> yeah, I think you're. I think you're wrong because. <laughs> well, I mean, I think there's a lot of. I mean, the Beyond is kind of batshit crazy as well. Like, no, yeah, yeah. That, well, the I Beyond think, was was before this. No, I know, but I'm just saying, like, Murder Rock is really crazy. Like, I, I, I don't think that Fulci never had, like, I think that's just his style. Well, no, but it, if you look at before, like, Lizard of the Woman's Skin back in the 70s and Don't Torture a Duckling and the, even the White Fang stuff, like, I, but I haven't really, di- I haven't really dove into his earlier work from, you know, the 60s well, I mean, on. I mean, his westerns are... I, okay, so you're just saying, like, stuff before Starting with that. Zombie, I feel like he started getting typecast into this crazy horror director with, you know... That was more or less maybe the psychic was what pulled him into that. Yeah. It was okay. the psychic. I, okay. I've never Sean, you're saying it. that Manhattan Baby is... His play at more of a restraint. trying to be... I feel like yeah. he was trying to be a little more restrained... In Manhattan, baby. Because I was expecting something completely batshit. I mean, look, you look at the cover that Blue Underground's given us here, and you know, it's very, you know, what you would think, of, you know, would be a Fulci film. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it very much has a few instances of that kind of craziness. But I mean, it's definitely for me from the Fulci that I've seen, and I, I haven't seen a whole hell of a lot. It is pretty. It is a pretty restrained for him around that time. Is what I'm saying. Mm. I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah. No, I. Yeah. No. Because uh, I mean, dude, conquest is fucking crazy. And no, but that's, right that's after. after. I, I'm, I'm, that's after. Oh, that's right. That was after. I'm saying like he he got typecast into just crazy Fulci. You know what I mean? I don't so think it was typecast. I just think that's what he wanted to do. That was part of Satchietti's style too. Like Satchietti's a fucking crazy dude. Yeah. Like I mean, he fucking wrote Blast Spider, where a guy has a shotgun that can shoot <laughs> rocket launchers, like or rockets. <laughs> like you know, and it's just, and he also fucking wrote that. I mean, he loved like um, you know, sword and sandal shit, and he loved doing you know, uh, you know, post apocalyptic films. Uh, you know, it's just, I, I think that was a big part of Fulci's um, um, just style. And then when he lost him, that's, I think that's when Fulci got a little bit more toned down. He wasn't going as crazy because he was kind of writing the stories himself. So I think. So maybe that combination of those, two, of, of those two guys brought out the yeah. crazy. Yeah, I think okay. through time, after Manhattan Baby. Uh, kind of mainly probably after Murder Rock, that's when, you know, aside from maybe Enigma, um, a lot of his films, he did tone it down a lot. And it became more contained and not as crazy. 
That's just my opinion, though. Uh, I mean, I, I think I've seen at least half of his catalog. You know, as some of his earlier Western films, I you know, I don't think are available anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if they are, they don't have subtitles. Um, but I, I think he's a great, I think he's a great filmmaker and he's very diverse. I mean, he made comedies in his earlier years. He made Westerns. Um, he made some bad shit, crazy horror films. Like he's all over the place. I've always, I've always really looked up to him as a, as a filmmaker and always, um, I just know that I'm not going to get something that I have seen before when I pick up a Fulci film. Um, I just know that I'm always going to be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, this uh, Manhattan Baby revisiting it, one of the things I really loved was, um, well, for one thing, seeing it in high definition, which I had never seen before, uh, (laughs) just watching it on uh, DVD. But um, his use of color in the film was was just phenomenal. It's something I've come to expect from Fulci, but... The, the way he'd use red and blues uh, throughout the picture to signify when uh, someone was being possessed or communicated with through the uh, through the Egyptian god, I, I just thought it was fantastic. It would start with very naturalistic lighting, although highly stylized, and almost in camera they'd just switch the, the gels so those reds or those blues uh, fell across the faces when you got nice and tight on the, the eyes. I just thought it was beautiful. There's a great, uh, whoops, little, little interview or, or Stephen Thrower kind of is, is on the disc just talking about the film. And he said that this was like in this movie, uh, he was messing around with a lot of optical effects mm-hmm. and on set effects more than like, more than just like, uh, makeup and stuff like that. Like he was really kind of experimenting and trying to kind of keep up with all these other movies that were coming out in the eighties or around that time that were doing like, I don't know when Poltergeist came out, but uh, more optical in-camera effects, even and even the post-production. He, they said that he was up like to uh, a few days before the film released, like still messing with some of the optical effects uh, in, in post-production. Yeah, and that'd be like the sand appearing yeah. in the bedroom. Yeah, yeah, and the little laser type things. Uh, kind of <laughs> <you know. laughs> Dude, lasers. Can never go wrong. You can never have too many lasers. Lasers in the eyes from the also, Egyptian artifact. Also, yeah. Well, that's the thing is, uh, we want to talk about lasers in the eyes. Um, it's not the first time that George Hacker, aka Christopher Conley, battled lasers because in Raiders of Atlantis, <laughs> he asked to battle lasers from you know some pharaoh underground box stone thing. Yeah. So, and that's another reason I'm a little biased because anytime you put Christopher Conley in a movie, I'm usually always 100% because that's my boy. Yeah, I, I rewatching the picture, Christopher Conley reminded me of uh late era Sean S. Cunningham. I must have been watching too many uh Friday the 13th documentaries <laughs> or something last week, but I, there were a couple shots where I'm like, "Man, this guy looks like Sean Cunningham in this movie." But hey, that's then- it. Right after that, he dude he made 1990 Bronx Warriors. Don't forget, he played the character Hot Dog. Hot Dog, Hot Diggity Dog. But it wasn't. He actually did Rage of Atlantis later. So, but anyways, 
What did you I'm guys... sorry, Brad. Do you like Raiders of Atlantis? <laughs> Raiders of Atlantis is one of my favorite films of all time. Pop, top ten, for mm-hmm. sure. I mean, Christopher Conley plays the character Mike Ross, along with Tony King playing uh, Washington, but he wants to be called Mohammed. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, I can't get enough. So. What, what did you guys think of the kid actors? I thought the girl was fine. I don't. The other kid. Oh, Sean, Jesus! What? Yeah, it's the, the okay, other... man. Huh? <laughs> I know Donald Trump's running for president, and he's a, <laughs> he's kind of popularizing sexual offenses, but. You can't just come out saying that girl is fine. <laughs> no. no. God damn it. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, well, Act, Acting-wise, Jesus the Christ. Kid's, the kid's great because, dude, he's played – like, he played uh, Bobby in um, uh, the other Fulci film with oh, – fuck. I said it like a thousand times. <laughs> Shit. What's the name of the fuck? The dragon through the house sequence. God damn it. House by the cemetery. Jesus Christ. Um <laughs> But yeah, he, he he always and he played in um fucking shit. Oh my, I quit. I can't think of anything. Right <laughs> okay. now. I, yeah, I thought demons. I thought he, he played in demons. Oh, played okay, in yeah, demons. yeah. I, I thought it looked one. familiar, but um, like I don't know if it's a problem with the dubbing or whatever. But uh, good God Almighty, he is. It, was this originally? Was this always English? Is there an Italian version on on this disc? No. Well, that's because they filmed it later. Yeah. <laughs> I love. Oh, I love it. That the kid annoyed the hell out of me. That's all I know. I love at the beginning of the movie when you find out they only took one kid to Egypt. They take Susie to Egypt, and they said uh, Tommy has to stay home, or Tommy had to stay home. And then you meet Tommy, and then you immediately realize why they kept that kid in fucking America <laughs> while they went to Egypt. Tommy's introduction to the movie is him calling his sister a lousy lesbian. He goes, you lousy lesbian. And <laughs> Susie's like, you're just mad because I'm great at baseball. Wow. <laughs> but she is a lousy lesbian. But, I mean, <laughs> you got to get called out on it if you're not good at it. So That's the thing is I want to know, like, that's that's the one thing about these American and Italian productions is because they did film, you know, or record the audio later, is that where – was that really in the script? Like, right. <laughs> did they just like, wait a second, what did he say? No, I'm just going to say lousy lesbian. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, well, I'm good at baseball. Like, you know, it's like one of those things where you just like, like in um in uh, one of my favorite films, this is totally off topic. One of my favorite uh, films is uh, Lady Terminator. And some of the lines in that movie, like one of the guys just walks up to a bar and he goes, do you guys serve beer in here or just milk? (laughs) And like he hasn't even ordered anything yet. He just like says that out of the blue. And I was like, did somebody really write that in the screenplay? Like, you know, it's just it's it's odd, um, you know, hearing those lines, especially with, you know, this bad dubbing, because it, it makes you question the people like were they reading the script? Like, yeah. Did well, somebody try to translate use Google Translator and uh you know do this? Obviously it's not Google Translator. But you know that type that's what it feels like. Like they copy and pasted a line and then it jumbled words around and then they just did the best they could. Right. Yeah, we'd hear stories of them shooting um 
you know, these pictures in Italian studios, uh, they're shooting and then right next door, they're constructing a set for another movie. Dario Argento's talked about this. So, the, you know, they can use German actors speaking German. They could use American actors speaking English. They could use Italian speaking Italian. And then, yeah, you just fix it in post. You're like shooting it MOS and <laughs> you can, you can just say whatever you need to when you're back in the, uh, the post-production studio. Wow. <laughs> because, you know, and then again, um, we have like Bloodstained Butterfly, you know, which we're going to talk about next, but the dubbing on that's perfect. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's pretty, and, it's pretty and good. And, and, and it's odd because, you know, Manhattan Baby, that's the way it always will and always has been. Um, but Bloodstained Butterfly, you know, it sounds good. It It isn't crazy. It, it doesn't it's not jarring when you see them, you know, their mouths like sync up because it actually does a fairly good job. But it, like sometimes in, you know, Manhattan Baby, people will be talking. You'll hear, but no one's mouth is moving. <laughs> they, yeah, there's a yeah. lot of like talking through teeth or like or yeah. dialogue that comes just when someone's smiling or something. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk so, about uh... Lady Terminator. For Raiders no. of Atlantis. God damn it, no. Well, let's talk about the soundtrack for a little bit. Um, uh, Fabio Frizzi uh, obviously came in and did most, uh, some new compositions, and then he brought in, he, he, they used, you know, things from City Living Dead, uh, The Beyond, and um, I think from Zombie as well. And I don't know if I was combining them all, or I've heard those those three so much that I kept you know, uh, recognizing them, but I, I swear I heard like the beyond music from the beyond like three times, three or four times. Uh, or I was getting it, you know, confused with the zombie or city of the, of the living dead. But I knew that there were tunes I'd heard before. Uh, and that totally like took me out of the film. Do you guys have any insight to why frizzy did that or Fulci did that? I mean, well, the uh, cues, to save money. Yeah. The I, I guess. Sound- yeah. Yeah, very similar, but um, it didn't it didn't take me out even because I saw your tweet the other day uh, about <laughs> about that or wherever you posted, and um, so I had that in my mind when I was listening to the score uh, on this rewatch. But it didn't it didn't take me out. But yeah, there were a couple times where the the cues are used very similarly. Sean, you're really good. Shut up. They got to get rid of that fucking saxophone, though. That sounds like Lisa Simpson standing on top of <laughs> their apartment building. Uh, I I, I want to check out the uh, the this actual soundtrack. Um, I'm so used to digital music now. I'm like, look, trying to look it up, and I'm like, oh shit, I got a CD right here. And I'm looking around, like, what the hell am I going to play the CD in? Your computer. Yeah, I mean, well, my wife's computer, my, uh, her, the laptop I was on had uh, has no disk drive anymore. They don't. There's like Apple is just like ah oh, fuck buy CDs. One, buy one for like twenty bucks. What I you know, talking? I didn't have one at the time, but um, I want to hear uh, the soundtrack. But yeah, you know, the reusing of the soundtracks was kind of you know for me a little bit, you know, uh, I don't know, took caught me by surprise. But then I remembered that Cat in the Brain did the same thing. So I'm wondering if it's uh, just something that happened in these films. Dude, you know, it's like even um, uh, Goblin used the Dawn of the Dead. They use that constantly in a yeah. lot of fucking, you know, Italian horror yeah. films. And then yeah. I remember that, goddammit, uh, the movie Kick-Ass reused 
uh, as Clint Mansell's uh, theme from the movie Sunshine. I was pissed. <laughs> uh, don't know if that's Clint Mansell. Uh, who did this? Who did the score for Sunshine? Mm, it's a great Mansell. film, by the way. Fantastic film. Is it Clint Mansell? I don't think so. Calling me on this right now? Yeah. I'll eat my words if I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. John Murphy? There you go. God damn it. Yeah, John Murphy. Okay, but from uh, um, Underworld and John Murphy. So anyway, it's been done before. I realize that. Um, but I, I guess I... Yes, but at certain least he, themes that he, I hear he, that... he redoes the theme for Kick-Ass and Sunshine. They just literally blatantly took the same soundtrack oh. and laid it over. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but, I mean, they, yeah, they took a, in Sun in Kick-Ass, it was a remix of that theme for sure, but it's still, the, it was the same thing. But, um, but yeah, you know, I realized it's been done, but you know, I got over it. <laughs> you know, whatever. I'm glad. Jesus. I thought you were going to harp on it for another 15 minutes. No, 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 no. It's just, you know, it takes me out of, of the film. I was just curious if it, uh, but obviously it didn't, no. Really phase you guys I guess because we're kind of used to it. Like, yeah, Italian those Italian films they went the cheapest route possible sometimes, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing. That's the reason why the dubbing doesn't take me out of it. Yeah, like, I just get so into it. it. I don't really like. I said like I even told you like I said when do they use the Beyond theme? Like I didn't even put two and two together, even though it's so fucking obvious. Yeah. And I this is like I said my fourth or fifth time watching Manhattan Baby and I've never put that together. And it's not totally the same thing, but when someone like a like a Tarantino reappropriates a score does that take you out as well when you hear like Morricone from Uh it a little well, a little bit it depends on how it's used. I know Tarantino Sometimes, uh, yeah, and those are always Sometimes, all the time. Those are always kind of my uh, <laughs> those are always kind of my quips about a Tarantino film. Uh, depending on how the music's used, I know a couple times I've been like, "What? Why is he using that song?" But, right. uh, but that's just me. I'm very much into music, and I love it. I uh, think it's the best thing ever. You know, certain certain things. Oh, the movie Watchmen had some horrible music cues. Oh my god. No, oh, Jesus, dude. What are you talking about? But uh, Zack Snyder, uh, horrible at choosing music for movies. No, he's the fucking... Oh, my God. <laughs> the, the the hallelujah during that sex scene was just... Dude, it was fucking weird. great as nah. fuck. Nah. I dude, Dawn of the Dead has some of the best fucking songs. No, that's we- different. Dawn of, the, Dawn of the Dead is great. Opening up the Johnny Cash song. Come on, that's awesome. Fucking Sucker Punch. You Give me a break, dude. <laughs> Uh, Washington yeah. has like one of the best sound. Like I thought that was literally one of the best soundtracks of that year. Really? You gotta, you oh come on, Sean! And that, you know, the... love my Chemical Romance, <laughs> dude. They do a great fucking cover of Desolation Row. Uh, yeah. Come on, Sean! I right. you know you love my Chemical Romance. No, fuck those guys. And then, yeah. Anyway, I, I, you know, I, just, I get weird with with soundtracks. That's just, it's, it's my own hangup. I'm not gonna throw that on you. It guys. is because Tarantino does a goddamn good job of it. Most of the time, he does good. Uh, Reservoir Dogs, fantastic. Pulp Fiction, pretty damn great. Um, yeah, but it, no, 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 no. That's he's yeah. he's yeah he's taking songs and placing them in the movie. Yeah, those are, We're talk- those are pop songs. Yeah, 
Yeah, we're talking about like Kill Bill, where it's mostly strictly all movie soundtracks. Yeah, I think based in there and Django yeah. and Hateful. Well, Hateful Eight's original, but like most of that stuff that he's doing now. He's taking pre-existing songs and throwing them into his movies. But even in Hateful Eight, didn't he? Didn't he um, use some he of used... his compositions for the thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I but I, I was... think I think there was even still some like the songs that weren't by any. You know, he he pulled. I want to say there was at least one. I feel like he he uh, Tarantino kind of tries to put a different spin or choose something that you wouldn't expect. So I think for me. It, it doesn't jump out, you know. I mean, if he, I don't, I don't think, yeah, Tarantino, I think, uses it pretty well as far as the scores, because I didn't know, in Hateful Eight, nothing jumped out at me, like, oh shit, that's the theme from whatever, you know. Yeah. Um. So no, I, I, I would, I would say in that sense, I think Tarantino's a little more, um, has a little more finesse with weaving the that in there. But my final verdict is, if I was friends with Fabio Frizzi and he wrote just one score for me and that score just happened to be the beyond. I would <laughs> use that fucking thing <laughs> like till someone locked me up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's happened in other films too. I, I, I can't think of any other films off the top of my head. I know that it's happened. And I know that I, I know I've noticed it before, but whatever it's all, it's all good. He used three songs from the thing and used one from exorcist two. Mm. Wow. Tarantino, yeah, but he like does like the deep cuts. That's what's great about Tarantino. Like it, it's not really on the nose, as far no. as I can tell. I Kill but. Bill felt like that to me, but that I'm different. Kill Bill did. Uh, and I would again, say if yeah, how on the nose is Hallelujah while two people are fucking? I don't know. <laughs> I just I don't know. It just it just was weird, especially that ver- <laughs> like that version. Um, no, I know what you mean. The warbly, like, uh, I don't know. Leonard Cohen. Yeah. They yeah, Leonard Cohen, yeah. Was it the, I don't think it was the Leonard Cohen version. No, it was. It wasn't Jeff Buckley. I'm going to make it. Leonard, it was Leonard Cohen. I don't think you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> no, no, yeah, it was, I think it was Leonard Cohen, not, not Jeff Buckley. Jeff Buckley is the more folksy sounding, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, whatever. Not a good swimmer, though. <laughs> oh, that's a little too soon. Burn. <laughs> too soon. <laughs> all right. Well, all this said, uh, Grindhouse releasing. Not nope. Grindhouse releasing. <gasps> Jesus Christ. What the fuck am I what's going on? I was Blue Underground, dude. Yeah, I was just thinking Cat in the Brain. That's Grindhouse releasing. Blue Underground um, did a bang up job with this Blu ray. You're doing uh, a bang up job of introducing him. <laughs> I'm. I'm <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit rusty. At uh, podcasting for some reason tonight, it's a little late, Sean. Maybe you need a sip of uh, <laughs> a cup of coffee from Coffee Shop Ahoy. Yeah, I mean, maybe I do. Or yeah. your coconut water. You know. <laughs> maybe you're dehydrated, honey. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> oh God. Uh, anyway. <laughs> oh shit! Jesus Christ! Oh God. Mike D's here to derail the show. I I am not, and I I sincerely apologize to your audience for my <laughs> footsteps and my fucking car door. I'm just I'm but a poor public educator trying to make my way in the world. Yes, Splatcast taking us down. I'm not going to hear the end of that. Am I? <laughs> hear the end of what? 
Splatcast. <laughs> oh, oh, Splatcast. No, the thing you won't hear the end of is uh, Rocktober Blood. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hey, uh, hey guys! Hey guys! I found, I found a October Blood DVD on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, it's the same. It's the same bullshit transfer. It's just look. You just I, give up. I, You're not, no one's you gonna know? get a good. How do you know? How do you know? No, because it's released by the Sebastians. The the new am, DVD that just showed that. up. I understand that, but how do you Amazon. know? Because I because I because we've been burned. I I you know I I'm starting to go fun bit pissed. I don't think there's any original elements to October Blood. It, it's just all fucked. Well, there's the most original element, which is the, the <laughs> Jesus for Doggies commercial that you could get. Yeah. Right? But hey, it's on, uh, you know, remastered from VHS tape, the original VHS master. <laughs> hey. God damn it. No, you could mispronounce my show, the Splat House podcast, all you want. It's all good. Splat House. I don't know why it says Splatcast. Because your show's called Screamcast. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> Freudian slip. Nope. Freudian slip. Nah, you want to <laughs> fuck your show. <laughs> uh, all right. The show is fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. Anyway, Blue Underground's release of Manhattan Baby. Uh, if you're a Fulci fan, ton of good stuff to dig in. The interviews are fantastic. Uh, I, I watched the Fulci and I, which is really, really, really great. And um, the 25 Years with Fulci is pretty great, too. But... Um, Good interviews on here. Stephen Thrower, of course. I always love seeing Stephen Thrower show up. I feel like they took Stephen Thrower to like a church, sat him down, and interviewed him about all these films <laughs> from all these different distributors. That's he's in the he same. Is is that his house? <laughs> Stephen Thrower lives at the. No, church. but he's wearing the same outfit, and he's in the same church. On that is the true. Arrow yeah, because across the Arrow ones and. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, do they just keep him in that room and see if it's over to stay there? They've kidnapped him, dude. <laughs> He's being held hot. He's being held hostage by, by, uh, by some, uh, you know, whatever, whatever company does all these. Uh, is it God, red? Is, does red shirt just do it all now? Um, I guess. But um, go sit in your pew, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, but it's great. I mean, uh, the. I, I read through the booklet that comes along with it. Um, uh, who who wrote this? Troy Howarth wrote uh, wrote this this I don't know little essay I guess you'd call it. Yeah, and it's say. it's really fantastic. It's funny, A lot of good. He does the Bloodstained Butterfly as well. Oh, does he? Yeah, I mean, yeah. They're, they're all these all these guys. I mean, there's. I mean, when, and whenever I hear like Stephen Thrower or anybody like that talk about movies, I'm just like, I'm, just, I'm a fucking dumbass. I know nothing <laughs> about this shit, and I'm doing a podcast. It's like, what the, what the, what am I doing? Hey, it makes me just want to throw in the towel and just say, well, fuck it all. Uh, hey, cheer up! Listen to a Bill Olson commentary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, so did you guys get uh, pizza delivered that day? Is there, <laughs> there was pizza. Is there pizza that day? And craft services. Did you ever have a problem with homeless people walking up and stealing your food? That's a legit question he has. Oh my god. Oh Do you guys god. have like steaks or something? <laughs> what did you guys have? What did you guys have to eat that day? <laughs> Bill Olson commentary is the fucking best. Alright, uh let's oh, move shit. into uh the bloodstained butterfly.
AKA the courtroom drama. AKA the courtroom drama. It's, it's so police, good though. It's it's such a good procedural. movie. You're wrong about uh, the contributor to the booklet. Uh, by the way, it's uh, James Blackford. Oh, suck a dick. And <laughs> and Howard Hughes contributes. What are you talking about? <laughs> an article from Howard Hughes in here. Leonard Jacobs. Dude, I'm talking about Troy Howarth does the fucking essay in this fucking uh, Blu-ray. He also does a fucking uh, commentary about his so. Oh, the video first. essay. Uh, oh, oh my god, suck a holy fucking shit. dick, Sean. Oh, you mean the video essay, not the essay that's <laughs> in the book? <laughs> the video essay. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a real. That's a really good video essay, by the way. Yeah, really and good. you okay. know who does the uh, soundtrack behind it? Clip Mansell. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god oh no wait it's John Murphy <laughs> I can't breathe <laughs> do you miss BJ uh, yeah, BJ, BJ holds the show together I feel like she gives a little bit of uh <laughs> she does. She brings the gravity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She keeps us in line. <laughs> All right, Jesus Christ, Bloodstained Butterfly, uh, directed by Duccio Tisari. <laughs> His name's Duccio. <laughs> <laughs> it's Duccio. <laughs> Duccio Tisari. Is that right? Dude, that sounds racist. Fuck. <laughs> If if that's racist, then Mario, uh, a Nintendo Mario, is a fucking racist. He's Italian. <laughs> no, Mario's Italian. The dude, voice guy. American. <laughs> yeah, but it's the most generic. That's the Mario. The Whoa. most generic you Italian can, thing ever. You, you cannot you, tell him how to represent his Italianness. <laughs> <laughs> you're telling me the voice actor for Mario in, on Nintendo is Italian. He's, he's, yes. God damn it. <laughs> hey, I meant to ask you the other day because you said um, somebody asked you about Nicholas Cage impersonations, and you said <laughs> I don't think you my... do a good one. I've never heard you do Nicholas Cage. I would. I. I. I'm. Uh, I need to watch something first. I'm out of. Uh, you know, I'm out of practice. No, I think but... you should just try it because it'd be a fucking riot. Well, Nick- Nicholas Cage, you just called the whole time. Crazy Nick Cage. Do you, do you remember I'm the one who was asking for that, Sean? <laughs> you were. <laughs> I was the one that needed yeah. someone to do a Nicolas Cage. Yeah. I think I just failed it. I just failed the gig. Sorry. Oh, man. I'm best with my impersonations if I, I need to hear it first and then practice. I haven't heard Nicolas Cage. Like, I tried a Nicolas Cage thing in a while. But, uh, you know, all I know is he just gets crazy. <laughs> he kind of talks a little bit like he has like a golf ball in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, man. I was in this movie about helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Oh. <laughs> Cage. <laughs> say, say my favorite line from uh, The Weatherman. Say, a pop, dad, a fucking pop. A pop, dad, a fucking pop. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen The Weatherman. Oh. So. All right. I was in this movie about this, like... I'm turning to Harry Carey now. <laughs> Nicholas Cage with Harry Carey. I watched the cops the other day. 
in the helicopter I flew in the movie. No? <laughs> all right. Where the gee, where the hell did we go? No, uh, I, right. no I got the I got the hair carry. No, I I, <laughs> I tracked it, buddy. Uh, so it's an American that voices Mario. Yeah. So, okay. It totally is. So Mario's a fucking racist. And he's also he's also voting for Donald Trump. Oh fuck, Mario. Nintendo <laughs> can suck a big just fat kidding. penis. Just kidding. <laughs> no idea. I'm gonna burn this house down now. All right, bloodstained butterfly. Directed by got a lighter. Douchey o who? Dukio Tisari. Okay, geez, I should just edit all that out. No. <laughs> uh, anyway, the bloodstained butterfly. Actually, I uh, now that this is uh, considered. <laughs> <laughs> how are we gonna recover? <laughs> You try, but you failed. Uh, serious, serious, serious face here. Uh, I really dug the film, and I, it, it was it wasn't what I was expecting from a, a giallo. I was expecting, you know, more of the standard, like you know, not necessarily a black glove, but I was expecting more of a, you know, several murders or whatever, like a, you know. And then, like a detective story to find out who the murderer is, type thing. We still get this kind of like detective story, but it's the whole film is mainly centered around this one murder, uh, and then the police, you know, the the procedural that they do on the crime scene, uh, and then into a, a courtroom, more of a courtroom drama, and then more things unfold. And it there are some uh, it goes some places that I really really dug, but. Once it started going into like you know kind of law and order mode with the the courtroom stuff, I almost started tuning out uh, until uh, other things started happening. I'm being vague because I don't want to spoil anything. Because yeah, you I, are. Because I I really dug the film. I dug the way that all the characters were presented. You didn't really have like like one clear protagonist. You know what I mean? It was more of an ensemble with all these people kind of connected through this murder, which uh, which which I, I really loved. And I'm very I'm unfamiliar with uh, this director's body of work, um, but uh, th- judging the film on its own merits, um, I was really surprised by it. and I really really dug it. So what what do you what do you guys think about this about this thing? Brad, are you making fun of the courtroom drama stuff? No, I I I liked it. Yeah, I mean. I mean, it is, it's a different approach for a Giallo film. It is, you know, it does have courtroom drama, but it's done with some style. Mm-hmm. I think the movie was uh, before its time because in the in the peak of this coming out, we had a slew. And so it was, was it 71? Yeah, it was like that one year you had like all these Giallo yeah. films come out. There's a lot of film. I mean, after, you know, Argento's... Uh, Kind of hit with with his with his film. Everybody started making one. It became like the slasher craze at the time. Um, you know, some good, some not. Uh, some that were more inventive than others. Um, you know, this is like the final tear of uh, slasher of <laughs> Giallo. You know, we have very few kills, and it's uh, very character driven. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much plot based. And final, final tear was a joke, um, but. Um, it's it is plot based, uh, very character driven, and it, and it is clever, and um, you know it, it becomes this uh, evolving murder mystery, which is a lot of fun, and it's not, um, you know, there's a lot of you know quote unquote serious giallos out there that are very invasive and in your face, 
um, that, you know, focus on the black of killer heavy synth score. You know, this is very classical, uh, very classical score. Um, the intro, um, the beginning of the film is amazing. Like, yeah, with, uh, with the title cards. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, uh, was it Fer- Ferio? He he did the uh, soundtrack to it. He's done a lot of westerns and shit like that. Yeah, I think the um, opening the opening um, composition is 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 a well known by. It's not by it, that composer. It's uh, it's, it's just a well known Tchaikovsky, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think Whatever so. You say it. Yeah. yeah. No, that's what it is. He uses the Tchaikovsky. Uh, like theme uh, throughout the film because that's whatever the pianist uh, hears mm-hmm. and yeah. you know kind of goes from there. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's an evolving murder mystery and it's done well. And I don't think it's boring at all. I don't. It didn't lose me when it got to the courtroom stuff. It just. Uh, this is actually my second time watching it. When I when I watched it the first time, I was watching it. Um, I watched. And no, no shit. I watched every Giallo film possible. That's even like kind of the stuff that I I was even watching stuff that didn't even have subtitles um, because I was uh, writing a Giallo film myself. So I was like, what better way to watch everything? And it took me about five months to watch everything. Um, and during that time, uh, you it's very repetitive uh, for Giallo films. Sometimes it's the same black of killer stalking women and um this you have a woman stock but it's basically one murder then murder surrounding it um but mainly focuses on the one trying to get down uh who this killer is mm-hmm. um so yeah it's 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 definitely different but it's it's very stylized it's very pretty um and it's uh i don't know it's it, the director himself he's done he even did a black Black exploitation movie with Isaac Hayes. Wow. Um, what well, God, I'm so bad with names tonight. I don't even remember. Um, but anyways, I have the soundtrack, but I literally can't remember the name of it. Where's IMDb, Sean? When I need it. Um, but anyways, uh, he did some stuff with Nero. He did the Ringo films. Uh, so, but he, he's kind of all over the place. Um, but he is a very, very good director. He's. Uh, he knows what he's doing. Like he doesn't want to make. He didn't make something just for a quick buck. He wanted to, you know. Even though everybody j- jumped on the bandwagon to make a Giallo film that year, um, he wanted to do something new, and I, that's so. That's what I appreciate about it. Yeah, I haven't seen the movie in some time. I, I first saw it in the the late nineties, around when I was discovering Giallos, um, probably around when I was watching Profondo Rosso or Cat of Nine Tales, I was way into Argento. But the great thing about getting into Argento is that uh, there's so many other great directors that you get to discover from there. Um, so I didn't get a chance to, to revisit it for this uh, short conversation. But um, it is in my cart at Grindhouse Video to get uh, <laughs> at their 50% off sale, which is going on now at grindhousevideo.com. You're better at plugging the show than we are. And also, if you would like to have your ad on the Splathouse podcast, which, no, <laughs> fucking plain. But, um, but no, I do appreciate that you guys aren't spoiling it because I do remember um, really loving the, the courtroom aspect of it. It's not exactly uh, It's Alive 3, Island of the Dead courtroom drama, but um, 
but I do remember loving that, uh, and I'm, I'm excited to revisit it. I'm a big Arrow video junkie. Um, I just spent all my Arrow video money on the, uh, <laughs> Herschel Gordon Lewis set, but uh, this one's in the cart, man. Nice. Um, I just had a <clears throat> question for you, Mike, because I don't know. Because um, you said you were watching Giallo in the late 90s. <clears throat> How old are you? I'm 34. I, I turn 35 next week. Oh, so you were young when you were dipping in Giallo. Yeah. My um, my director, the, the guy I've worked with for like 20 years, we went to high school together. <laughs> we were just super fucking nerds. But um, yeah, we were all just about collecting VHS tapes. Uh, we jumped into DVD really early, uh, just spending every single dollar and dime uh, we could come across to uh, to watch some of these pictures. But yeah, because I think my first Giallo was probably Deep Red, mm-hmm. and I was like probably like ten or eleven. Uh, but that was like in the mid nineties. I think that yeah. was my first step into it, and then Cat of Nine Tales and stuff later. Yeah, so yeah, Anchor Bay had those great uh, clamshells back in the uh, yeah the big black clamshells. Yeah, yeah, love those. But um, yeah, we were always at Suncoast Video, spending my McDonald's money and <laughs> the fucking tapes, but. Yeah, I haven't seen this one in in years. Yeah, it holds up, and, and even the courtroom drama stuff—it's not—it's not boring. Like they have a good score behind um, everything. The actors are really good. That's another thing. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, because I I actually because um, when I very very first saw this, I saw the Italian version, so I wanted to switch it up a little bit and watch the American speaking one. Mm-hmm. Um, or English speaking, sorry. Um, <clears throat> and watching that, like, you know, it's still pretty intense. Like, they keep up with, uh, you know, it's not slow paced at all. Like, the, the pacing is equal to whatever, you know, the killings are happening around everybody. Um, so, yeah, I, I dug I dug it quite a bit. Well, I feel like, uh, <clears throat> don't they kind of play with the timeline a little bit with the storytelling? Well, they do. There's like sequences, which is, you know, for the seventies, um, you know, it's very, it was very new at the time is that whenever they're, you know, one thing that I did enjoy is that whenever they're discussing the stuff in the courtroom, they do a reenactment, but like, they're really there talking about it. Like you're watching the killing happening, happening again. Yeah. But like the people in the courtroom are actually on the scene of the crime as the crime's happening, that type of thing. I don't know what you call that, like, when, when that happens in films. I mean, it's more popular now, but, you know, it's uh, you know, kind of like a flashback, but, um, Mike, you should know. You're in the theater. Right, yeah. Actually, I was just talking about this the other night when we were watching The Conjuring 2, right? Like, when... Uh, are you talking about, like, when Elaine Warren is walking through, like, the Amityville house and... She's in Ronnie DeFeo's body, and she could see the crime as it's. Is that right? What you're right. Yeah. 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 It's very, very similar to that. Yeah, but but like, this isn't like you can actually see like the jury, the jurors just kind of in the area watching. Yeah, they like linger yeah. around, but like the guy that's doing the questioning is like in a hat, standing on a tree, while the you know the witness that's in the car is saying, "Yeah, I saw her right over there." Yeah. But she's like in the scene again, and that was like. You know, that was really cool and inventive at the time. Because yeah, that's just good storytelling. You know, and that's uh, that's what I was saying. Like, you know, there's so many things to this film that are just kind of out there where, yes, it is a giallo, but it's so much more than that. 
Um, and it really pushes the limits of wanting to do something new and different. Yeah, I mean, so if you're if you're like expecting this, uh, you know, uh, black glove killer with bright colors, you know, type giallo, you know, slasher, you're you're not getting that. It's it's more, uh, yeah, it's definitely more than that. You say that in such like a negative way. No, no, I mean, no, no, I don't, I don't mean that negative at all. Because, well, that's what I was expecting it to be. Because when you see the, you know, how the cover is and, and everything, but once it got going, I, re- you know, it, it was, it was, it was different from what I was expecting it to be. But it was kind of better than what I was expecting it to be. If that makes any sense, where it was definitely, you know, trying something different. But it was definitely, and it was, and it's more, you know, it was more of a courtroom, you know, the courtroom drama stuff. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of kind of courtroom drama stuff anyway, and. And kind of seeing how, you know, in the 70s in Italy, like how they would do a courtroom. Like they have, I mean, it's like in the U.S., it's like, oh, you're innocent until proven guilty. You're, you know, you go in and you're with your lawyer, you're in front of everybody, but you're, you know, you're treated on an equal playing field. Like in here, like the guy who's accused of the murder is just shoved into a cage. (laughs) Yeah, like it should be, right? Yeah. (laughs) So it's 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 very jarring. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> so he's just he's in there and it's like, you know, I I'm, I'm thinking about like, you know, like the courtroom stuff at the time and then and then even at the beginning when they discover uh the body of of the the woman in in the park, how they just spend their time with the police as they're kind of catalog cataloging things and measuring and, you know, um gathering evidence and things like that. Like most of the time like movies you know, kind of gloss over that stuff and you kind of get the idea, but it's like, it, it, there's like this attention to detail that the film has with that stuff that I found really interesting. And I guess at the end they say, you know, thank you to some police department, you know, for, you know, for uh, consulting, you know, them and, and all that and all that. So you can tell that the filmmakers were very passionate about getting a lot of these things right. You know, whether they got it right, I don't know. Um, but the fact that they were, trying and they spending the time to show that I've, I've, you know, I really dug that aspect of the film. Cool. But yeah. I, I want to see it again because of all the, the kind of the time hopping and there's a few little twists and turns and that I, I really want to kind of see it again because um, it's just a well, well told story. Many layers. Yeah. I really appreciate how uh arrow video has been handling these giallo releases. They're, Fucking gorgeous. Yeah. I concur, Mike. I concur. I concur. So, uh, kind of like the Blue Underground release of Manhattan Baby, like, there's no, you know, th- there's no, like, hour long documentary, but there is this, um, kind of video essay with, um, Troy Howarth, right? Visual essay, they call it. You're talking about Bloodstained Butterfly, not Manhattan Baby. Bloodstained Butterfly, yeah. But there, there's a lot of interviews, and then you have this visual essay. Um, and, and then you have uh, a really great audio commentary um, with a couple of critics. And I kind of sampled the audio commentary as well. Very informative, very fun. Uh, these two are very fun to listen to. Well, Troy is the one that, Troy Howarth, he wrote uh, the So Deadly, So Reverse books. Yes. And oh, I love uh, those books. 
Yeah, yeah so he, he definitely knows his shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it made me want to track down his uh, his stuff. For sure, I need to get, get to getting those books. Yeah, that's actually what I got my wife last year for her birthday present, is I got her So Deadly, So Perverse, and then the, the Black Cat, what was that, the double feature? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, is he, did he, uh, I'm assuming he, he contributed to that as well? I don't know offhand, but I can, yeah, I can only I don't assume. Remember. Yeah, I okay. Yes, I mean, uh, so he's, he has a few books. I mean, they're pretty pricey, about 50 bucks a piece. Mm-hmm. But they're so deadly, so perverse. Um, yeah, but they're encyclopedias. Oh, yeah, no, they're, uh, 50 years of, ge- of Italian giallo films. So. Yeah, full, full color, gorgeous layouts. Yeah. Um, nice, nice size to them, too. It's a, it's a hefty book. It's nice. Adding I wonder his... if he's the one that commented on my giallo article. Oh, uh, probably. He also has a uh, a Fulci uh, uh, book, Splintered Visions. I'm adding these to my to my uh, wish list. <laughs> With your disposable income, your <laughs> podcast. Um, I, I I I I I gotten some shit today. With, uh, Did with you? the wife? So yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. What'd you so, do now? No, just uh, yeah, a couple of days uh, of a lot of things coming in. <laughs> just just <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so I won't be buying those for a while, but I will be adding them <laughs> to my list to some point. You uh, say this, but we will see mail days in three days. <laughs> no, 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 uh, no. I, Seriously, I is your wife, like, does she have a condition like Memento where she just totally forgets these arguments about videos coming in and then like the next day it's all fine? Oh, no, no. I have to be stealthy if I want to, uh, <laughs> partake. But uh, but yeah, no. She walks into my room and sees I have like stacks of movies just sitting here because I need to organize. I need to get some shelves, and she just walks in and kind of just gives me the disgusted look and rolls her eyes and and walks away. If you want to distract her from the stacks of Blu-rays, just put some dead hookers on top. Of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a plan. Uh. Anyway, where were we? But uh, yeah, this this arrow this this arrow set uh. Chock full of stuff. Uh, are you guys familiar with uh, Alan Jones and Kim Newman? They're they're the oh, ones yeah. who did the uh, commentary. Tom Jones, not Tom Jones. <laughs> I met Tom Jones once. Hey, it's uh, not unusual. Did I tell you guys I met Tom Jones once? Did you about? really? I uh, I was a, a server in Clear Lake, Iowa, and uh, we we would have some people come through because there's the uh, the surf ballroom was is the last place that Buddy Holly performed. He crashed uh, right after his performance. And uh, so every year they have they they restore the surf ballroom every year they have like the they call it Buddy Holidays. Um, so there's always like people coming through, stopping in Clear Lake to take a look at the surf ballroom and then move on. I think he was performing at the surf ballroom like that night or the next day, but he was at the bar uh, smoking a cigar of the restaurant in the restaurant uh, that I was working at and complaining about how us Americans put way too much ice in our drinks. <laughs> That's right, dude, because we make Disney Cokes. That's what I call them. They're called Disney Cokes because we just have a giant glass full of ice. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what Disney does to save money. Yeah. They just give you a bunch of ice and a little bit of soda. He was yeah, you just pissed. put like eight ounces in instead of – Yeah, the, that's why you get like draft root beer where they don't put ice in that <laughs> shit. <clears throat> He's like, that's, you, how, that's how you run shit in this fucking town. Tom like, Jones is right. He's like, you Americans and your ice – 
take out some of this ice and put some more whiskey in here. Yeah. What, what country do you think Tom Jones is from? Yeah, I was about to say. I don't, I was I was actually I was trying to talk, but then I was like getting all like <laughs> my throat was starting to get uh, like phlegm and stuff. So I'm, I I totally ruined that. Oh, that sounds really gross. Yeah. Say I, say uh, you Americans with your dehydrated coconut milk. <laughs> you Americans and your dehydrated coconut milk, <laughs> bro. <laughs> Bruh. <laughs> Uh, and then I, I, I actually waited on Quiet Riot once. That was a trip. They all had wigs on. Really? The least, because the lead singer was balding back in the '80s, and he had like a full head of hair. So I was like, either you, you know, got some major implants, or was wearing a wig. I, I worked for Best Buy for years, and I met uh, D. Snyder in full Twisted Sister regalia. <laughs> that was nice. that was pretty fun. Took the opportunity to ask him about Strange Land. There you go. Yeah, and then, is he as, uh, is he as nice as he like seems to be? Yeah, he's a sweet dude. Yeah, yeah he's he was, a really he nice was really guy. nice. Yeah, I mean he he showed up at this party for Best Buy managers or whatever position I had at the time. So I mean I'm sure they paid him <laughs> thirty thousand dollars to do it. But if but if I got paid thirty thousand dollars, I'd be a really nice guy. Yeah, like I'd like I'd say the name of someone's podcast correctly. Splatcast. <laughs> Splatcast. See, see, Mike, Dude, if, you had, if you had paid me a little bit of cash, I probably mm-hmm. would have got it right. See, I know you haven't even listened, Sean, because you would have <laughs> our theme song stuck in your head, just like Brad showed. You know? Yeah, but um, I'm, I'm glad you picked that up. <laughs> it's on. It's on my. That was to-do, on purpose. It's on my to do list. I saw. I. Oh, I. I don't, it's a watch pile. Well, I, I, I mean, I have no commute, so I don't listen to any podcasts like at all. And my work, I can't put my headphones, uh, and work because I always get interrupted. People are, you know, the way my office environment is. So I have a hard time getting to podcasts. I do it when I masturbate. I have a kind of weird masturbating with uh, Mike's voice in my head. I don't, in my ears, I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it, but, um, a little awkward. But nine out of ten dentists do recommend it. So, <laughs> but um, oh, and then the other person I met was, uh, or I met lots of people. This is a fucking dumb conversation. In fact, I'm not gonna. All right, you met hey, Tom Jones. Hey, and you I know who I met? <laughs> yeah, I met Pete Rose one time. Oh my god, he was a total dick. <laughs> well, oh my god, I don't know. I'd expect that, I guess. All right, so uh, anyway, the Blessed Butterfly uh, from Arrow. Fantastic disc. If you if you're a fan of GL and you want something a little bit different, I would definitely recommend this one. I think we're all recommending this one, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, I am. I am recommending it, Sean. Yeah. All right. Great. Fantastic. Let's uh let's you close. Buy a Grindhouse video, fifty percent off. Let's uh let's close the show out. It's getting uh it's getting late, and we're gonna start you know name checking all the people we ran into. Celebrities. <laughs> If you keep on going. But uh, yes, definitely check out our sponsors. Go to uh, grindhousevideo.com. He has an arrow sale going on right now. Is he doing it all month? It's all month. All month long, month of November. Because Take it's their advantage. two-year anniversary. Hell yes. It's 50% off of the MSRP. I know people were bugging him saying like, hey, you have the Herschel Gordon-Lewis side listed for $140, and it's only $115. It's not 50% off. <laughs> But it's like it's fifty percent off of MSRP, so god damn it, relax. I, I can never run a, a store because I would uh, just mouth off to way too many people. Um, a lot of good prices on there. I need to stock up on a few things as well, uh, but, but you can't. I can't. You'll get yelled at. Yes. Um, there are yeah. 
you know, it is what it is. But uh, check that out. Also, check out our other sponsors. Go to thescreamcast.com slash sponsors. Buy shit from Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, check out Horror Pack. Check out yeah. Coffee Shop of Horrors. Yeah, buy Death Row Game Show and, and Hobgoblins, please. Hell yes. You know, uh, I have a Death Row Game Show on this gigantic Mill Creek 200 film piece of shit DVD box set that Brad uh, told me I should buy. <laughs> Uh, because I think it's just because I think Raiders of Atlantis is on there and uh, Death Row Game Show is on there. I was like, holy shit, yeah. I could have seen this. I could have seen is, this, uh, a ripped up crappy print. Is of, Raiders from Atlantis on that set though, Brad? It is. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's on the sci-fi set too from Mill Creek. Nice. Oh, cool. Um, and I, I, Manos Hands of Fate is on my horror box set. It's probably a horrible uh, transfer, but... Uh, we just did our Manos, I, the Hands of Fate yeah. episode yesterday. Um, yeah. Somebody uh, went in front of a bunch of uh, of uh, like anti-abortion protesters with all the posters and stuff with the Manos like costume and stood in front and took a picture. <laughs> with oh the the master the big, costume, with yeah, the big M. Yeah, with, yeah. Uh, and I I didn't really get the reference because I haven't seen the movie. And then I was like I was like that looks familiar. And then. Somebody's like, oh, that's Mano's Hands of Fate. And I was like, oh, shit. So I Googled it, and I was like, it was spot on. Pretty funny. Don't know, idea, don't know where I was going with that. Um, music provided by Wolfman of Mars. Logo designed by Kevin Spencer. Get hey, what about, your, what about your pins, man? Oh, yeah, shit. Pins. See, we're horrible at plugging our pins. stuff. Hey, actually, can I, can I testify to this? Because I actually purchased the pins. They're a great deal. <laughs> There's these two beautiful pins that Screamcast has available now. There's um, Oily O'Bannon, right? Yep. From yeah. Return of the Living Dead inspired. And then there's the uh, the ballet dancer from Suspiria. Bloody ballet. Bloody ballet. Yeah, that's a, that's the, a better Those name. just came in. They look they look phenomenal. Like, yeah. They yeah, look, they came in today. They look fucking gorgeous. So. Yeah. I, I can't wait to receive mine. I, I ordered both of them. $20 for, for two. Um, like I said earlier, I usually get my wife a movie-themed birthday present. This is going to be part of her little uh, package I'm putting together for her this year. So thank you guys for that. Very nice. But, um, yeah, I also thought I was confused the last time you did this pitch because uh, I thought there was an $8 shipping fee. Nope, just, but that's just, just international. International, yeah, there you go. Yeah, just international. So, yeah, 10 bucks, uh flat rate for U.S. shipping. And then uh, it, 10 bucks is all you pay for the pin and everything. Uh, and then, yeah, you got to add on 8 bucks because, uh, you know, shipping gets crazy. Shipping's ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, uh, all of you who've bought these pins, thank you. We're, we're, I think, Brad, you sent out all the Oilio Bannons so far. Um, the kind second sorta. batch. The second, second batch. batch. I have to give is I have to give Brad another spreadsheet full of uh, the new orders. So uh, you know, be patient with us. We're we're just figuring this out. But uh, I think I think I think we're we're doing a pretty uh, pretty damn uh, good job. Brad Brad has been handling the 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 brunt of the shipping stuff. So uh, while dealing with life, good job, Brad. I was on vacation, so I couldn't do anything. Yeah. You guys kick ass. I printed up a sp- I printed up a spreadsheet. <laughs> you did you did great <laughs> and also one thing that because uh, we get our pins from get lapel pins yes dot com and uh you know you're uh, obviously more than welcome to uh 
have pins made from them. But one thing they are doing that I wanted to promote that's not horror-related or a plug at all, um, they are doing a thing called uh, a smile train, where um, uh, it's basically $30 gets you a pin. However, you are donating for uh, for untreated uh, cleft lips. So they are trying to do this uh, kind of fundraiser to provide to saving kids cool. uh, with um, with uh, cleft lips. It looks like there's like a um, there's like a smile like smiley pins is what you get and them doing different smiles. But anyways, it's called Smile Train. Um, and they're just trying. They just started out. They're trying to raise money. So if you want some cute smile pins and save some kids, it's probably right up your alley. See, we do have a heart here at the Screencast. Very cool. Yeah, you do. Even, even though we're dicks most of the time, and we and we and fuck up naming, you know, plugging people's podcasts yeah. and naming directors. <laughs> That's okay. I could plug it right here. Yeah. Yes, Mike. Uh, please plug away. Uh, where, where can people find you online and, uh, and and all that shit? Yeah, if you could believe it, we have a uh, highly professionally produced podcast over <laughs> on SplatHouse.com. It's uh, true. You can you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Blueberry, like whatever, wherever you get a podcast, I think. But we have a cool show. We drop uh, every week. We do um, about an hour-long episode where we look at a particular film. We interview uh, directors, actors, uh, famous fans of of the movie. We play some games, a little bit of comedy, a little bit uh, informational time, but uh, a lot of fun. I do it with my, um, my theater friends. Uh, we used to do live retellings of classic movies um out here in the bay area and now we just decided to do it every week on a on a podcast cool so our next episode is november 12th we come back with splat house miami connection oh yeah and i think uh if it works out sean will be on that show yes yeah and brad was on our first episode where we looked at boarding house nice i'll uh, i'll have my people call your people we'll work it out (laughs) yeah yeah you (laughs) DM me, bro. <laughs> and of course, you can find our uh, all our shit over at thescreamcast.com, all of our uh, social media links and all that stuff. Head over there, grab those pins. Uh, I just sold the last uh, the last mug. No more Screamcast mugs; they're all gone. To my mom, <laughs> to your mom. My mom uh, bought it. Karen, I'll be getting that out uh, shortly. I apologize for the delay. I was on vacation. It was, it was funny. She was like. She was because uh, she bought pens, you know, because she was super supportive. She's like, I saw a mug up there. I didn't know you had mugs. I drink coffee every morning. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, going to send her some coffee shop of horrors coffee, too. So, but anyways. Yeah. yeah so mom supports us, too. If uh, if you guys if, if people want mugs, if that's still a thing you guys want, uh, just hit me up and let me know. I can do I can order another batch, but uh, no. they, it, it took like two years to sell through my supply of like five. So, <laughs> you know, but they're, they're got, they're cool mugs, man. They're, I, I drink, I use mine every day. So, all right. Uh, drink coffee shop before or de- dehydrated coconut water. Yeah. All right. That's enough. <laughs> We're out. Uh, thank you guys so much for, Check out the show. We'll talk to all of you next time. Bye-bye. Peace out, bro. Bye.